Hello, everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. With me today, right next to me, I've got Daniel Bloodworth. Hello. And next to him, the smiling Brandon Jones. Hi. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. Doing yeah. good. We just did a bunch of credit card transfers from one account to another account. Sounds fun. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. One of my favorite things. Uh, I'm going to be moderating our way through this. My name is Ben Moore. If you're not familiar with this show, we talk about video games. We just kind of shoot the breeze. It's supposed to be really casual, like you're hanging out with your friends who also like video games and nerding out about things. I imagine there was some excitement that you had for one particular thing, Brandon Jones, that <laughs> I would not expect from you that I'm particularly excited to get to. But before we get into that, uh, we always have like pre-banter here when we get into the Brandon Jones garage. It's kind of like a ritualistic thing. We get in here and it's not like, okay, we're going to shoot immediately. It's kind of, oh, you know, what did you think about this? Or this is where I am in this game. Or this funny thing happened to me. And you guys were talking about your dads and how <laughs> yeah. uh, different they are from you. But virtually the same. It's, it's, yeah, it's not a personality thing, but like a, a trade thing. Hmm. You know, like in the olden days, if, you're, if you were like, you know, like boot sewer you know you're like well i sew boots because my dad sewed boots brendan son of boots i'm not yeah right i do not do what my dad did so what does your dad do uh my dad is retired but he was an accountant he mm -hmm. primarily dealt um a lot with um companies forming so when we i formed game trailers back in the day he was very helpful in that process was finally like ah I'm, i have interest in your career now um but uh, uh he did a lot of stuff with um uh, apparel and he worked for a company called Moss Adams LLC. They also did a lot of because I interned there for a summer. And I worked in the department that did a lot of stuff with music licensing. And so I was like going through boxes of like Earth, Wind, and Fire and like, you know, these all like weird like bands. I um, presented that you said Moss Eisley LLC. Yeah, that would be the best. Yeah. I would yeah. come to work every day with the blaster on my side. Shooting quotes at people. Is, is your dad a Star Wars nerd? Is that something that you guys shared together? My dad is not a nerd. Full stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> my dad, my whenever we get together, and it's not for the lack of trying. I love, um, uh, I love talking to Huber about baseball because I grew up Dodgers. Like I was just a huge fan of the Dodgers when I was a kid. Probably I didn't more know of a that. fan of the Dodgers than baseball. Like I just mm. loved like mm. having a team, and it's like always been our team. Whereas like the Rams left and the Raiders left, and um, and uh, but my brother and my dad love football, love golf, love basketball, specifically basketball. Whenever they get together, they're always talking about basketball, and I'm just in the corner like, I play video games? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for you, Brandon, but to, to loop you into this conversation, Blood, how receptive were your parents to the whole video game thing? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that weird. Uh, I mean, my, uh, my dad got our Commodore 64 and he bought a lot of those games that, that like I first got into you know I mean, we, people always hear me talk about Legacy of the Ancients I mean my dad bought that game and he played it at first like before we had a monitor he we bought it for playing, himself well bought it for the family sure um and so you know and that was kind of the like the early justification of like why he could spend so much money on it and stupid stuff that we never used like a you know like dial up modem back then um and was was you know we, we could use it for school the kids could use it for school it wouldn't just be for playing video games and i don't know that we ever used the commodore 64 for school <laughs> in any form whatsoever i remember my mom like programming some simple stuff on it like having a ball bounce around the screen and stuff yeah. like that go mom uh yeah <laughs> yeah my, awesome. my mom's designing websites now but wow. um but cool. uh <laughs> but uh but yeah so he i mean he my, my dad passed away about 15 years ago mm. uh but uh he he was a mechanic 
Uh, and so, and yeah, and again, stuff that didn't get passed down because just like we, we were out of touch by the time I, I got a car and, mm-hmm. and really had like any kind of questions on it. But yeah, he would come home with his hands all oily and cut up and, you know, you know, smash fingernails and all that good stuff from rebuilding transmissions and things. So I love the smell of a garage. Just that. Yeah. I don't know why. Just that there's some weird smells that I can't articulate why I enjoy them. Like bonfire best smell in the sure. world no i mean I it, is, it is one of Pretty those good. weird nostalgic things that i have like i have uh my my brother put together it's in an ammo box but it's got a lot of my dad's old tools in it not a lot actually but a couple of my dad's old tools because there is like trailers worth of tools uh but uh you i should genuinely clean them up but be Again, because of that smell, it's like you open it up. It's like it's like oh, that's an overwhelming smell, but it kind of reminds me of my dad. Right, so. right. <laughs> Very nostalgic for sure. Brandon, were your parents cool with the whole game thing? My parents were very supportive. That was, nice. it, yeah, it wasn't a matter of my dad not being supportive of what we were doing. It's just a level of like understanding. You yeah. know, like whenever I talk, I'd be like, hey, E3 was really crazy, dad, because they announced this and, and this. And he was like, okay. And I'm like, oh, and then this game's coming out later this year. I'm excited about that. And he's like, all right. And I'm like, oh, and uh, this weird thing Patreon did. And he's like, all right, now I'm interested. <laughs> like, like the second I would switch to business, I could see his eyes light up. Yeah. And he's like, so I remember like back in the day, the game trailers, he's like, so you run, you run ads. And I'm like, yeah, we have ads. <laughs> and then those play before the videos. And then we have ads also. And then we have other, you know, sub things. And when we had, you know, the, the, the show on Spike for a while. And just every update with this, he was always like, this is sustainable? And I'm like, so far. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, especially with Patreon, that's just been, he's so fascinated by that. It's like, how does this work? It's and, fascinating. And um, so, yeah, the, what, like, what, it's like what I do, not so much interest. How I do it fascinating to him cool yeah one of the last uh kind of video game interactions i had with my dad uh, was uh was actually with eternal darkness oh <laughs> i was like i wanted to to, sh- to show him eternal darkness and i and i expected to just like hey here's the beginning of the game you know like i thought you might be into it a little bit and he was into it and he watched me play through half of that game uh wow in, in a in a night so that's awesome it was pretty fun yeah i would never say that my parents weren't supportive uh i mean they would always for christmas buy me consoles just because they knew it was my favorite thing to get and they would see the excitement on my face and they definitely got me a lot of games i mean i used to play old pc adventure games with my dad uh, like full throttle and siberia we played together and just really enjoyed the problem and i think the disconnect that came from them is I started reading a bunch of game magazines and then game websites, and I was like, oh, wait, you can do this. And I don't ever think they took that jump, where they're like, this is just something you do when you have some free time, and you do it all the time, and I'm not sure that makes sense. We're going to make you go outside. It was kind of (laughs) that. It's not that they were against video games. It was just like a very much a moderation kind of thing. And I think it was hard for them to, because they, you know, weren't living and breathing it like I was, the the jumps were difficult. Yeah. And so like when I would try to get my dad to play another game, he'd be like, I can't handle this Xbox controller or whatever it was at the time. Um, but there's always a curiosity. And I, I It means so much to me when my dad tries to connect to me because he reads the USA Today every day. And he'll be like, hey, I saw this thing about Mario. And he'll like send me a link. And it's just his way of trying yeah. to, to break the ice. You got to find those middle grounds. I remember... Uh, there was like we were watching golf or something. I was home, and this was a couple years back. 
and uh, uh, there's silence between my, my dad and I. We're just watching golf for like 15 minutes, and then he, he like leans over, and he's like, okay, so Jamie Lannister's the blonde one. And I'm like, go on. And he's like, because he's like, he did that. And I'm like, yes, dad. Actually, okay, no, but that character's this. Yeah. So like that was Game of Thrones was something we actually like bonded on very uh, heavily. That's awesome. I wish we bonded <laughs> over got to find those things. Uh, Brandon, at the top of the show, I said that there was something you were bringing that I was very excited about and that you were excited about and I didn't expect. You yeah. played Smash Ultimate at yes. Comic-Con. A bunch, yeah. Tell me about it. Um, well, first of all, I got to give credit to Nintendo for how they handled Smash at the con. Smash was available in two places. So when you, for those who have not been to San Diego Comic-Con, it's everywhere. Like, there's a lot of the hotels do stuff. Uh, the gas uh, lamp quarter, which is... Uh, Right across the street from uh, Comic-Con, they have stuff. There's the harbor in the back. There's boats that have parties. So it's like a lot of people will pick events at various places. And Nintendo has always had an off-site for the last like four or five years, I believe, at the Marriott, which is right next door. It's pretty much like connected to the convention center. It's basically the same building. And they had Smash there, but they also had Smash on the floor. So if you're just like with your folks and you're like actually on the show floor walking around, you can get in line. And they had... You did two matches. One was practice, and then the the second match was uh, winner takes all, and they would get like a pin or like a little patch or sticker or something. And uh, they were timed matches, and so they knew how long that line was going to move. And so mm. it was like the rides at Disneyland that are on a track, like Haunted Mansion. Like that line is a long line, but it it, it cooks. And so it was neat uh, when you when we got to the thing at the Marriott, they had the area where you could play Overcooked or Aces or like any of these other Switch games and then they had a completely separate line just for Smash. And I thought that was so smart because they knew people were gonna, just going to leave the Smash line and then just get right back in and be like, okay, I'm going to do Samus this time and then, okay, that was fun. Alright, I'm going to do Zelda this time. Um, and so I went through that on the very last day and uh, played a couple matches of, of doing that. And I'm just I'm terrible at that game. It was fourth place every time. <laughs> but uh, it was fun. It was fun like playing with different people. It was fun Playing it with strangers in person, and it's interesting having, you know, some adults be like, you know, like, oh, this doesn't matter, or, oh, I'm kind of personable, and just like, oh, what did you play, and kind of chatting through it, and it's another thing to be like playing against a 12-year-old, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> like, no eye contact at all, just like, <laughs> and I guess second place, like, okay, and just walks away, doesn't even look at us, just like, I did what I came here to do. At E3, <laughs> uh, when, when I was playing, you kind of have that very natural awkwardness where it's like, oh, hey, is anybody sitting here? Can I play? <laughs> and you're, you're going through that, and it's like, oh, do you want to do teams? Do you, what do you, what, do you want to do free-for-all? Uh, you know, how, just that sort of conversation. And that was most of the people. And then I sat down, and there was this guy, and he, he was nice. He was, he was a fine guy. Uh, but we would get into the match. He'd be like, goodbye, Jigglypuff, like just out of nowhere. <laughs> he just got really excited. I was like, whoa, okay, all right. I like all that, right. I like that when I play Smash... Uh, with friends, we always just do random for stages. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if that was like a rule or something. It's just like what I'm used to doing. Mm -hmm. And I love that player one, when they would just randomly hand out the, the controllers when we walked up, and I was always like player three or four. Like I was the first person to walk in, so I was like, as it was at the end. And player one would pick the stage. And I played that four or five times in a row. No, None of the player ones picked random. They were all like, no, this stage. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Yeah. They had a very clear idea of what they were going to do. But um, for, for, for viewers at home, listeners at home that are big Smash fans and are like, okay, give us the Smash details. I got no details. I'm terrible <laughs> at this game. Right. But I do have a funny story. Uh, I went to the uh, Wired Lounge 
and uh, I got to go to I got to get into a lot of fun places because Amanda was doing PR for uh, some stuff that she well, had announced it was premiering at Comic Con, and so I'm just kind of like. Like, her her guy on her arm, just like, oh, there's no video game people here. And every now and then I'd bump into an EZA fan or, or somebody that was familiar with us. And I bumped into a guy who works at Disney, uh, who um, works in, uh, uh, is a producer at Disney. And a young guy, I think he's a little bit younger than me, and he's got the Smash Brothers hat on. And Amanda's talking with him, and she's like, oh, you might like Brandon if you're into video games. And he comes over, and I'm like, he's like, you like Smash? You play Smash yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't played Smash. He goes to, like, check something on his phone. I notice his lock screen wallpaper is just all the Smash characters. Yeah. And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> and, like, I bumped into him, like, three or four other times throughout that weekend. And every single time, we just immediately jumped onto Smash. And it was fun, and that's actually what makes me feel happy about this job. That, like, I can talk to you about any game. Like, if I'm not... um, um and that's just like a skill I've developed just over time. And I love that I still have that natural enthusiasm for things where it's like, even if I'm terrible at this game, even if I don't know how much I'm going to be able to play this game, I still want to know everything you think about this game. Right. Because I want to take that into my knowledge of like what you love about it. And he was like, uh, so I, at that, on that last day, I went through the line with him a couple of times. And he's like, can you take a picture of me with Ice Climbers? Like, I would sit down. Of course, the first question, I'm like, who's your main? He's like, Ice Climbers. Like, All right. Well, he's happy go. then. Yeah, about happy then. Yeah. yeah. Who did you pick? Uh, I was all over the place. I okay. picked. Uh, um, uh, I r- I'm hoping that they drop. It's funny too because I'm like, yeah, there are rumors, and he's like, it's gonna happen. I'm like, okay, <laughs> but there are rumors of uh, Simon Belmont, and yeah. like that's my main. I don't care if he controls terribly. I'm I gotta play Belmont every time. Um, so and he was like, it's gonna happen. He was confirmed. He's like, no, okay. I confirmed it. I'm like, who confirmed? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's not in our position where we have to be really careful about what we say. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he can be that. He can be that confident, <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I jumped all over the place. Uh, Pikachu was the first character I ever played in Super Smash Brothers back on the 64. So I still have like a, a soft spot for Pikachu and just for Pokemon in general. Um, but I um, think Pikachu is a really great character to jump into. Sure. Like no matter what the game, yeah, you can get in, you can start doing some damage, you can start relearning what you, what you know. Most important question though, do you put the birthday hat on Pikachu? No, no, straight... Straight Pikachu. Yeah, don't mess with the skins that much. I don't want to mess with the skins because I'm not that comfortable with the controls. So I don't want to be that guy in the character select screen that like hit out or something. Oh, and they're sure. like, get back in. I'm like, oh sorry. So like I yeah, once I once I can identify which circle is mine and actually like pick the character, I'm like, I don't want I don't want to mess. I don't want to slow any of you down. Let's just do this. <laughs> Maybe but, I'm, um, I'm uh, thinking of another ally, but I thought you played Ike during a stream. Uh, Ike and Marth. I gravitate toward the Fire Emblem characters nice. just because in a traditional fantasy sense, I like the shield, the cape, the sword. Yeah. Like I think they look yeah. cool. And it seems kind of like a mentality I can get behind. I see like Game & Watch or like Olimar and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to have some weird gimmick. Even like Villager, which you think I would love. Mm-hmm. Villager is a little crossing. tricky. Olimar's tricky. Uh, Game & Watch isn't I that bad. Uh, but yeah, a couple of weird moves. Hitting people with a tree as Villager. <laughs> man, that's fun. I uh, really oh, like Inkling. I think of the new characters mm. uh, yeah. between Inkling and uh, Ridley, who I play a little bit of Ridley. But uh, um Inkling's fun. Yeah, so let's... I, I know you're you're maybe a little bit hesitant to dig into, like, mechanics and stuff, but just as somebody who enjoys the Super Smash Bros. games every once in a while, what is it about Inkling that you thought was fun or that you gravitated toward? Uh, I like to... Um it seemed like you could, like, catch people a lot. Yeah. It seemed like the, 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 when she just mows, just, like, lets it go once you, like, built up the ink, um, they really get stuck. And it's, like, that's the problem is that, like, I tend to, like, 
oh, there's that player. Oh, that's right. I have that move. Let me move up. Oh, they're gone. You know, it's like I can never like catch somebody. Right. And I just naturally just picked up that that move really quickly. Uh, and it was easy for me to. I don't think it's block. It's like something. It's like blocking down or something like how you recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that element of like traversing the map and like mm. being able to like like once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I, I was afraid I was just gonna run out of ink and then not have it for like the rest of the match. Um, but. Uh, uh, I picked that up pretty quickly. And just, I think the big thing for me, and which is why I really need to pick one character and stick to it, is uh, just the, like, I'm on, a, I'm on a stage, I'm airborne, I'm back down, there's somebody near me, I'm moving out of the way. That weight and physicality, I just don't have downloaded yet. Like, mm. just that, like, a lot of times when I jump, I'm like, get on the ground. Ah! You know, like, I'm trying to jump towards something that's happening. And by the time I get there and I'm ready to fight, you know, just the, 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 the like, the little minute movements that you're doing, like, picking targets and stuff like that, I just don't, I don't have that built into my fingertips yet. You yeah. Know? So I really want to get comfortable with one character so that, like, okay, now I'm really focusing on what they're doing and what I'm doing in reaction to them as opposed to just constantly chasing after people. Like, I'll try to do a little bit of damage. And, like, like 20, this is a very old person thing to say, but 25% of the time, I don't know where my character is like i just <laughs> completely lost them yeah and so i think that might also be it's like a shooter like the more you just get comfortable with the maps you know and so i think i might get more used to like ah the levolution that thing comes crashing down and we all go knocking around or that item does that or when this character comes on that's a support ability and all that extra crazy stuff is there anything specifically with this version of smash brothers that excites you more or less than normal for smash brothers or is it kind of just the same way you've always felt I don't know what it is about this gen. This might just be me in this time in my life. So I might be just adding myself to this weird thing. But it seems like this gen is giving me opportunity after after opportunity to Zelda, Mario, Yakuza, like Dragon Quest. Like to yeah. re- reinsert myself into franchises that I've tried before but have just kind of moved away from. God of War. You know, like mm. that like... Uh, yes, it's time. Let's do it. It's time to celebrate this franchise. It's time to jump back in, join the conversation. Uh, and a lot of the titles that I just said, I used to be like Ocarina of Time is one of the best video games anybody's ever created, if not the best. And so like I have really fond memories of those where all the memories I have of Smash are just getting destroyed. So I think this is like like Yakuza, like a good opportunity for me to invest in the series finally and like be competitive Potentially, do you, it just, I don't know really what contributes to that. Obviously, the ultimate, it's everybody. You know, right. You're not missing yeah. out on anything. Or, um, and it seems like a lot of the improvements that they're making are to make the characters more comfortable and make them more accessible to people, um, give you more freedom of movement. Do you think it has to do with this generation, or is it kind of the, the atmosphere that we're in? And I, I, for me, personally, I think it's you guys a lot of times, where if I was just left to my own devices, there are obviously personal biases that I would follow and I just wouldn't be aware of other things because I wouldn't have somebody knocking on my brain being like, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Uh, And just frame trap and even just being on stream and and chatting to people and like, no, pay attention to this or this just came out. I feel like just the interaction with the community and with you guys uh, has made me so much more aware and on top of things, even though I'm still so far behind on so many things. Yeah, of course. just naturally, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate this time in video games where I feel like things have a chance to shine because more people can get up on whatever soapbox they have and and make you pay attention about it. You can't just have your blinders on, I think, sure. as much. I think it's also a sense of just social globalization. Right. Where we're just, you know, this this, you know, 
plan that's been alive and been running, spinning for so many years. And mm-hmm. we're getting to that point where you really have to make a decision not to enjoy something. You have to navigate away from the anime on Netflix if you don't want to watch it. Right. But it's there. You know, like, it's starting to pop up in recommended feeds. You're starting to get recommendations on YouTube to maybe check out things you're not familiar with. Some of your favorite publications are maybe talking about franchises they didn't talk about before or trying things out. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's a magical time. This gen just, I think, is kind of the confluence of a lot of these different interests where people aren't necessarily like starved for good entertainment mm-hmm. but it just seems like it's, it's really weird it's what i think i'll always remember this generation for of just being like jump back in you know yeah. well i think uh you know twitch and sharing really kind of has something to do with that of course yeah you know, when we talk about uh monster hunter and yakuza and how many people are into those series now yeah. and i really wonder how much that would be the case if they didn't see people play them on twitch and like okay, I want to get into this. I understand this now. They're not so intimidated by, you know, that whatever that barrier may be, whether it's like the language barrier or, or the mechanics of Monster Hunter or whatever. Right. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with barriers too. Uh, I will always remember Blockbuster and, and how it kind of like, not necessarily shaped my opinion, but was kind of a reflection of how these things were treated where... The anime section at the blockbusters I went to was exactly one shelf. It was never going to be more than that one shelf, and it had the big old like label anime on it. And I remember when Spirited Away won an Oscar for uh, best animated picture, and how how like mind blowing that was for so many people. This kind of moment of recognition. I don't think that's. So weird now. I don't think yeah. it's. I think mm. the things that were were stigmatized because we kind of live in this place where there's such a high volume of content, and it's easier to cater to kind of everybody. Mm. You don't just have to get th- like there's there's not that conception of like ah this isn't safe anymore. It just yeah. seems like it's easier to find that audience and be aware of it. Um, like you said, when you go on Netflix, you're gonna see anime. Like it's just unavoidable. <laughs> it's right there. I think that kind of sends a message of like this is this is for everybody. It's mixed in with everything else. It's yeah. mixed in with your your breaking bads and your offices and, and all of that stuff. In, in the PS2 era, I wasn't playing a lot of things because I was not familiar with it. You know, I, right. I might have seen the box art and been like, cool, but you know, uh, that either doesn't look like it's for me or I'm just not that familiar with it, so I'm not gonna invest in that if I only got sixty bucks, you know, to buy like one or two games this month. Uh, and whereas now I think the difference is a lot more people are familiar with these things and are just choosing to focus on one specific thing or another. But there is an awareness like, oh, I'm familiar with that. I just I like I know what Shin Megami Tensei is now. I'm just right. not actively playing it. Definitely. So. Um, yeah. They're, they're, oh, boy, I could follow this thread for a long time because <laughs> even just things like. Like, uh, like let's take Monster Hunter or, or Shin Megami Tensei, right? If you weren't familiar with it and it was like, oh, God, I have to like sit down and play this and that's so intimidating whereas now there's so many like monster hunter for instance there's so many awesome people are like okay dude here's a 16 minute video we'll go through the basics and i just feel like those tools break these things down uh that were maybe mental barriers for people before Mm -hmm. um in in a really appreciable way but going back to smash Something that I saw during E3 that surprised me, and this is all very anecdotal stuff. I'm not. I'm not saying this is the way it is, uh, but the the response to Smash Ultimate, based on what I saw on Twitter, based on what I saw in in comments and things like that, is either 
you really love Smash, so of course you're going to play this, or you've never cared about Smash, so of course you're not going to care about this. Okay. It wasn't what happens sometimes with, with other sequels or new entries in a franchise where they're like, oh, they're doing this new thing that speaks to me. It just kind of seemed like you knew if you were in or out, and that's kind of what Smash Ultimate was communicating. Like, hey, we're bringing all these characters in. It's going to be this, this hype celebration. We're making these mechanical changes that maybe you don't understand if you've never played this before. And A, I want to ask you both if you think that's true, if this is kind of already speaking to the choir, and B, if you think that's a problem. I think it's true in a way, but it's sort of this odd thing where I, I feel like Smash is very much in the same vein of Mario Kart, where it is so big and so beyond just the hardcore base. And because it's a local multiplayer game, it's very easy to like grab Smash, get whoever, if they don't play video games or not, and just start playing. Just have them mash some buttons and see what happens. Have them grab a Pokeball. Right. And I think I think that works. So you, you know, like you don't need to convert the, the masses of other hardcore players that are just going to want to play something else you know play rainbow six or something like you don't need that player you know you you have a huge base of players and you have a you know the potential to reach out to other people just you know more or less virally uh you know just by getting their hands on it at somebody else's house Mm -hmm. what do you think brandon uh rephrase the question so uh, is it bad that nintendo's not reaching out for new players what specifically yeah i i guess um where you have this extremely successful console the switch and just the response that I've seen is either you know if you're in or out in Smash Brothers yeah. Ultimate. It's not. It's not. It just doesn't necessarily seem like it's winning people over who had no interest to begin with. Sure. I wonder if that's a post game play. I wonder if you go for launch with the diehards. Mm-hmm. You you your first selling point, your strongest selling point now is if you loved a character, they're back. You can play as them, even ice climbers. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that was a big deal for my my new friend. You know, right. and so like that resonated a lot with him. And so I wonder if that's their primary messaging, and then get that game in people's hands, have them go out and spread word of mouth, you know, physically, have them literally like out in public spaces playing this game that looks really fun. Uh, and then maybe we'll get the fans of each individual franchise on top of that, where we then we'll start talking about, I don't know if they've delved into uh, um, Amiibo functionality or like how that's going to work. It's or... definitely going to be compatible and the old ones are going to come back into circulation. So and like if I'm a Zelda fan, but not necessarily a Smash fan, like then they'll go for those audiences and try to entice them with the functionality of that way. And then I wonder, because they haven't really got into like other modes and stuff. Like we're talking about like right. some, some kind of boss rush or like a yeah. single player or whatever. I wonder if that might not be available at launch, if that's like a post-launch thing. And then they start going, okay, we got our initial sales from the, the audience that we knew was going to sign up or not. And then maybe once we start hitting a couple tournaments here and there, then we can uh, start selling other modes that might attract you just on their own. That like, oh, that looks like fun. That's a single player thing or something I can play to get good at this game. And so I'm not so intimidated just jumping in and being terrible. Um, so yeah, I wonder. I wonder if because I'm sure this game because this game's going to live as like the last or the current Smash Brothers for a very long time. Yeah. I wonder if. Um, they're kind of looking at it kind of like Splatoon, which all of the awesome Splatoon updates that they're getting of, of varying sizes and, and prices. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to have the same strategy with Smash in that let's just experiment and not necessarily put in concrete what those extra things are going to be. We can maybe base those off of interest and sales and growth and 
and then try to see, like, do we want to bring other audiences in and, and force them? Because as curious as I am, whether I'm good at this game or not, to play more of it than I typically have, Amanda picked up that controller for three minutes and was like, no, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't make me play this game again. Because <laughs> she just gets stressed. She's like, I just can't. It's, sure. it's my, not my brain. We were talking about playing games with our parents. Like, she grew up on King's Quest. So she's just very, like, slow, methodical, puzzle-solving, decision-making, you know, like, stuff that uh, um, tickles your, your brain. But uh, the, the jumping and pushing off of ledges, not so much her style. <laughs> Yeah, I think too, like kind of you're saying, like the expansion of Smash does kind of come naturally with those new character announcements. Sure. And and that may be where some of the, you know, feeling of stagnation is with people right now because like the character list is oh, all these characters we already know about. And then maybe some more, you know, a couple more or whatever. But like you said, if Simon Belmont gets in there, like that's going to win over some people that otherwise wouldn't have cared about Smash. If Ezio gets in there, that's going to win over some people that didn't care about Smash. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's all kinds of weird things. Even, even something like Bomberman, which isn't a huge like, franchise, some people are going to get in there and like, oh yeah, Bomberman, just blowing everybody up, having huge lines across the screen, that'd be great. I think about like the Luigi balloon mode that was added to Odyssey. You know, like yeah. that was free, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a tiny thing, but like it was really fun. Like we we got a fun you know stream moment out of we that. Did. And so I I wonder if little things like that could attract people. That um, they're like, oh, that looks like fun. What? How can I download that demo? And it's like, no, that's a part of this other game. You know, I'm like oh, finally something something for me. Um, I just think that the the wow factor of Smash Brothers has changed so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, where if you think about the earliest days of Super Smash Brothers on the N64, from my recollection and the way that I felt, and I, I think this is generally true, it was like, I can't believe Link is fighting Pikachu in Hyrule Castle. Yeah, right. Like that was it. Like that was that was amazing. That was you could you could live off that high for years, the fact that Nintendo was the doing fact that Mario like would punch anybody. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that first was, commercial was great. And we're yeah, and the, the sledgehammers I, and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the greats. <laughs> it's still crazy exciting that these characters are coming together. At least to me, it's still crazy exciting that these characters are coming and and fighting. But it's not like I can't believe this is happening right. anymore. And I, I feel like you've kind of had peaks and valleys with that. Uh, Snake was a I can't believe this is happening. Sonic was a I can't believe this is happening. Uh, Cloud. Um, but even now with the guest characters, as insanely awesome and as exciting as Simon Belmont would be, I don't know if it would be as unbelievable to me as when right, I saw right. Snake. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing against Simon Belmont, and that's nothing against the new Smash. It's just once you take something, once you take an idea that was unbelievable and you do it for long enough, you just kind of lose that factor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think now the only thing that would be unbelievable is if they actually somehow got first-party characters from Sony and Microsoft. You're like, wait, what? Right. Master Chief, what? <laughs> but it, I, I appreciate that it's not a gimmick. You know, that yeah. like there's not there's no like weird curveball this year with Smash Brothers. Yeah. They were like, oh, oh, okay. That like, oh, I'm excited for Smash Brothers, but I don't know how I feel about this weird... <laughs> plot twist thing they're doing where they like split up you know like alliance horde <laughs> with right. the nintendo characters and they're all warring each other so just something you're like yeah okay i see that but i just wish it was another this kind of felt about the ssx series where like i was so excited about every new entry but there was always something i had some pill i had to swallow with some like motion controls now and like all right and so i kind of appreciate that they're like it's everything everything yeah. is our gimmick you know and i think that's 
it's hard to get upset with that. I think a lot of people, some people were underwhelmed with what they brought at E3, especially post like the big crazy Zelda Mario E3s we got from Nintendo. But I respect that. As someone on the outside looking in, I think that's cool. Yeah. And um, I think it's not necessarily like as exciting as, as someone, like I said, something they can do that has a clear vision other than just let's try to make as many people happy at the same time. But um, I don't know. I thought it was a smart play. Yeah, I think it's a smart play too. Um, I'm I'm very excited about it. And I'm what I thought after I kind of saw the different reactions to Smash Brothers is kind of how I felt after the Switch. Like, I remember being really skeptical about a lot of the things with the Switch and then it coming out and people taking to it and a lot of those concerns kind of melting away because at the end of the day, it is really fun to pick up and play Smash Brothers. And even if you don't like it or you're intimidated about it, all it takes is that one friend showing you something cool and having a good time with it. And so I wonder if, yeah, that super crazy, I can't believe this is happening moment may not be coming with Mm -hmm. Smash Brothers Ultimate, but it's just such to its core good fun that that will win out in the end. Uh, like, I remember there being kind of a surprise at just how overwhelmingly good Mario Kart 8 Deluxe did. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, there's not... Right. We're still month by month. Right, and uh, I, I think that will always win out <laughs> in the end, right? Is it's just if you just have the, to, the, to your core good fun, yeah. uh, that will do better than whatever cynicism you can come up with. I'm not great at Smash Brothers. Yeah. I played like five or six matches that last day. I got the final Smash, like four out of those six matches. Oh, cool. So I, there, there still is a bit of randomness and fun. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still great to have... Uh, I feel bad when I do this in shooters or games where I'm, like, hunting an environment, something like Overwatch, where, like, you just stumble across two people having a fight and then you just happen to bump into the lo- the winner but is soon to be the loser because they only have a sliver of health yet and you're like, sorry. Right. <laughs> just, like, you're <laughs> wrong place, wrong time. But with Smash, I kind of love that. You know, we're like, yeah, I, clearly the two best players in this match are going at it and then I just happen to just bomb right the guy. <laughs> like, right. Oh, I got you. And then he gets knocked out. Um, so I think you can still get your licks in, even if you're going to get fourth. Like, you can mm-hmm. still kind of disrupt other people's session. Yeah. And that's fun. You can get a cool assist or, or yeah. a final smash. Or, yeah, you, you have your moment to shine. Blood, I want to throw it over to you because you've been playing a game that I wish I was playing. Mm. It looks so cool. and game it's I'm called, terrified of. <laughs> it's called Pool Panic. Oh, not that one. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, there I might know, be I know what you're there might be about. terrifying moments in Pool Panic. I don't know. Panic's in the title. Uh, the there there are some terrifying moments here. <laughs> so yeah, Pool Panic. It's essentially a puzzle game. Uh, it's Uh-oh. pool is in billiards, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Uh, and it. I liked that motion there. Taking a shot. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, it's by Adult <laughs> Swim Games and very. Uh, very clear it has it has that kind of like sort of like intentionally disgusting character design yeah early really 90s cartoon teeth. yeah yeah uh, very rick and morty yeah. very royal yeah. yeah and and so the the pool balls uh you play as the cue ball uh of course the pool balls all are kind of like anthropomorphized they're all walking around there's there's pool balls that are kind of scared of you and start running away there are pool balls that are raccoons hiding up in trees and you got like knock meat off a barbecue to lure them onto the ground mm-hmm. uh and all these different kinds of scenarios as you get into different things and so uh, the game essentially amounts to being a puzzle game so i there's things it's like three or four uh, four different factors i think so there is uh 
there's time there's like a, a, a countdown clock going and you can't really see exactly how many seconds it's just kind of like a, a manual clock uh, swirling around there there's uh, how many shots that you take and so that's pretty important and uh, so and you can do the normal shot and hit them really hard or you can do kind of a softer shot to keep yourself from like knocking in after them or like bouncing off the wall behind the hole and then uh, there is the uh, oh the, the kind of uh, I don't know what exactly to, what to call it they, they show it on the screen as a sock but if you either hit the cue ball in uh, to the hole or if you hit the eight ball in early mm-hmm. you kind of like fail like that parameter and then the last one is just like finding all the balls in the scenario and, and getting them all in um, whether uh, yeah generally before because the way each map ends is that like you hit the uh, the eight ball in and then you as the cue ball jump in after it uh, <laughs> but you, you walk around and you like find the right angles but the scenarios just go off the wall there's like immediately or does it take some time to get into the crazy it does not take very long (laughs) it does not very uh and so you've got the campsites you've got this there's one that i did kind of recently where you're all on motorcycles and so like you hit another pool ball off of a motorcycle and are you the cue ball on a motorcycle you're cue ball on the motorcycle okay and and so you ride up to another ball and you you shoot the cue ball and then knock them off the motorcycle, and then you're riding that person's motorcycle, and then you you just keep hitting motorcycles until you get everyone. Uh, but you can obviously, you know, misjudge like somebody else's rate of speed and fly off and you know go down the road and 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 lose that way. Do the pool balls scream as they tumble off the motorcycles? Uh, some of them do. Okay. Yeah. Wow, uh, very important question. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, hardest hitting. There's like. Uh, it's like a construction site one with like wrecking balls that you have to use to uh, hit hit guys off of posts. Uh, I, I mentioned. <laughs> I think the reason I brought up the scream is just because of how violent this sounds. Yeah, I mean yeah. it can be at times. There's there's one where it's like a marching band, and you've okay. you've got the guy with the baton, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you you knock that guy out. And steal the baton, and then you lead all the other band members into the hole because you only have like I think two or three shots. Yeah. So that's one of the things is a lot of the times it really plays with that whole idea of like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? It's like, no, you don't just like hit things into the balls and try to ricochet because there's all kinds of weird stuff that can happen, and sometimes like the limit of the number of shots kind of shows you that, like maybe I have to do something else here. And there's one where there's like a whole bunch of uh, like bear type balls in the woods, and, and like they can kind of like ba- they basically like rush at you and, and like knock you back or, or rush at other balls. Uh, but there's a hunter in a cabin, and then like I think you like mess with his TV, and he comes out of the cabin and he just just starts scaring all the bears into the holes. Mm-hmm. It was just like it, it's. It's it's nutty. There's another one. Um, don't get too traumatized. But there's one where it's a s- giant spider. Is a spider hairy? It's, uh, it's a it's a bit hairy, but it's also got like daddy long neck type legs, and the balls are actually okay. the, the feet of its legs. Oh, that's cool. And so you've kind of got to knock it over or lure it over towards some of the holes. 
it's it's a crazy game. Yeah. And there's a lot of lot a lot of different scenarios. Sounds like Golf Story meets a Lego game. It's very much like Golf Story. Those two like they're they're or like Wario growing up side by side. Like. Yeah. It, it sounds like just the sheer absurdity of the scenarios that you were describing is is a big highlight. My question is when you have the pressure of time and the pressure of limited shots. Just you personally, when you're going through these things, and as you're getting on to the later levels, like how many times do you typically see yourself doing these challenges? Is it something where it's like, oh, okay, I one time to figure it out, the second time I've got it, and then I do it, or is it like, no, I did this ten times, and it took me each time to kind of piece this whole thing together? I mean, some sometimes if you totally, you know, like again, like if my cue ball slips into the hole early, like I might just restart right then because mm-hmm. you can restart pretty quickly anytime. Uh, the, but it, the nice thing is with those four different parameters is that you don't have to get all four in one shot. So you can do one run where like, okay, I, I'm going to get all the balls. That's generally the one I, I go for first. There's like trying to find all the balls. Sometimes they're even like, uh, balls that have like the chalk, you know, the chalk that you kind of chalk up the, the cue stick with. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am familiar with the chalk. <laughs> so there, there sometimes there are hidden balls that have one of those, the chalk on their head, and if you find them and get them in the hole, then they'll follow you around on the map. And uh, there are certain uh, stages that you can only get by like leading them to like uh, it looks like an antenna or something sticking out of the ground. Oh, okay. So and that's the thing too is the map is really huge and it's all hand drawn as well, and so figuring out like how to get through certain areas and that was one of the things with the the motorcycles that i just did is those motorcycles were blocking the road for the longest time until like i worked my way around this like center hill through the woods through this way down through some other area and then i found the stage uh to where basically or i got on the motorcycle and like challenged the motorcycle guys and now the motorcycle guys are out of the way, and I can just walk back and forth from that area to the beginning area. And uh, and there's also this, uh, when you do, when you complete each one of these levels, uh, there's like this hill in the center, and every so often, however many uh, points it takes, uh, it, it raises up. And so it's like creating this spiral kind of road. Uh, and getting higher and higher and higher in the center of the map. And as it gets higher, sometimes they'll open up caves, like bonus levels and things like that. Cool. I'm surprised at how big the levels are. Uh, so you're, you're going back to these levels and you're trying to accomplish different things as you're returning. But for any one of these given challenges that you're trying to accomplish, how long does it take to do one? Are you spending five minutes, ten minutes, a half hour? Usually not that long. Okay. Usually they go pretty rapid fire. Sometimes one will just kind of, you know, it, it, again, it's like a brain teaser. It's like, what do I need to do to make this happen? Or sometimes you won't even see like where all the, the, the balls are because they just might be in strange different situations. Like uh, there's one where there are um, basically birds mm-hmm. hidden in trees. And if you shot towards a vine... You would swing on the vine and then hit hit the tree and then knock the bird out of the tree, and so yeah, so it's just a lot of experimentation sure. throughout, just trying to figure out what exactly is this scenario. Uh, there was one that I took a long time on that was um, it was like a neighborhood backyard, and so 
there were like a couple of balls playing tetherball and then some fences and you got to knock the fences over to get things through easily uh but the real killer about that one was there was a ball that had like a like a grappling hook on mm-hmm. its head yeah and so when you knock balls into the hole it would fish the grappling hook into the hole and pull them back out again and if you knock it into the hole it would throw the grappling hook out and pull itself out again and so you're just trying to figure out like how do i manage these things so that i get everyone in the hole without this jerk just pulling them back out you know and, right. and, and making my life a nightmare <laughs> and at the same time there are other specialty balls there's one of the raccoon balls that are like okay i've got a uh there's oh there's one that you can really use to your advantage one type uh that they uh they basically do like a a ground pound and just like knock everything like area of effect knock everything away from where it's at Mm -hmm. and so you have to kind of learn how to work with it because when it's kind of geared up and ready to like smash right you can't hit them if you hit them they just smash the ground so you've like you've got to wait till they do their smash and then hit them while they're recovering uh but if again with like the limited number of shots Sometimes you just want to use those to your advantage. Get them to a spot where they're going to knock all the other balls around and get them into the holes. Um, yeah, there's craziness. Yeah. Centipedes were full of... Yeah, there's one that I'm having a hard time with. It's like a like figure eight centipede of, of balls marching in a line. I'm like, how do I hit enough of these balls in with the amount of shots that I have? I haven't, I haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah, I... I I love that they're taking kind of this basic concept of pool and applying it in so many different creative ways, not just in terms of theme, but it sounds like it remains interesting just because of how dramatically different every challenge is. Um, And so maybe that kind of already answers this question, but something that I run into with puzzle games um, and like The Witness comes to mind, where I really loved The Witness. I did. It was super satisfying. Uh, Sometimes even like pulling out a, a pen and paper and and trying to just piece this thing together, understand what it was trying to communicate with me and then figure it out. But I would run into situations where I'm like, that was amazing and I loved it and I need to take a break. (laughs) Where it, it just, sometimes it felt, and maybe I'm just bad at puzzle games, but sometimes it felt demanding enough that it was hard to go for long periods of time. And it sounds like, you know, with this grappling hook or the guy that's slamming down uh, that you run into these situations where it's like, oh my God, what do I do? Uh, is it easy to keep going? Or once you kind of finish something and you check all those boxes, you're like, I'm good. That's enough of pool panic for the day. Um, I think it can go a little bit either way, but one of the things that's really nice about it is, like I said, you can complete a stage and not accomplish all of those objectives. So you can go back later if you really want to rack your brain and figure it out. If you complete a stage and you just do one objective, do you unlock the next stage? Is that how it works? Or No, that's actually what's kind of nice is is the map is just kind of open to you to sort of figure out how to wander around. And so oh. uh, there are points where you'll need to find a way to open a path to another area. But you can sort of just wander around and do what levels you like. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and sometimes finding the levels is part of the puzzle as well. It's like, okay, I, I see... I see that there's potentially a level here, but I don't know how to unlock it or open it, or I don't know how to get through this way, so I'll go around the other side. Uh, There's some barricade here or a block party in the middle of the neighborhood, so I can see these levels over here, but I don't know how to get to them yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the the map plays a big part of it, but you can have access to quite a few 
probably dozen levels at least at a time. Nice. Okay. Cool. Blood, I remember you streaming it and saying how awesome it was and how you were really encouraging other allies to check it out. And I've, I've had my eye on it very closely ever since, but actually hearing you go through and describe the mechanics of it and, and getting all those nice details, like more incentivized than ever. Still like at the bottom of a giant list. Right. It's, it's on there. It's on there. Yeah. It's a really easy pick up and play thing too, which is, you know, having it on the Switch is great because I can just, you know, you can just like have something, you're waiting on something, you're like, all right, grab, do a couple of pool panic stages and then put the Switch back down. Yeah. Um, I've been getting into something, just just scratching the, the very tippy-top surface of it so far, um, and I've been wanting to get into it for a long time, and that is Warframe. Oh, um, right. Aha. Yeah. And Warframe is, is interesting for me because I, I reviewed it uh, when it first came out, and I remember really, really? not liking it. Yeah. Uh, at GT, I did. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't remember that. Ryan, wow. Ryan C was like, hey, review this, and I said, okay, and I remember really not liking it, just it feeling really kind of... Droll and dull and grindy and uh, That's everything when basically taking every level was kind of the same, but it just kind of like felt like randomized hallways. Yeah, um, it it's been years, and so I don't want to. Sure, I have the same experience. But like, yeah, I, I played that even before then, and my 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 memory my memory of it is pretty vague. Um. But I think my biggest complaint of it at the time that I reviewed it was that just everything took a long time. There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of waiting on timers. Um, mm. And that kind of sapped the fun out of it for me. But since that point, you know, I kind of reviewed it and forgot about Warframe and moved on with my life because I didn't care for it. There's been this surge of people that are like, no, this is amazing. Like, they've really taken this game and, and built something super cool out of it. And that sentiment has seemed to only grow stronger over time. Mm. You know, obviously yeah. I, I'm not following every single update with Warframe or, or anything even remotely close to that, but just the general common sentiment. Uh, people are very passionate about it and they love it. And I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stream this a little bit. Obviously we're still finishing up Suicoden 2, but we can at least check this out. And again, I always want to be hesitant because your first few hours with a game can be very different than your your 50th, 100th hour, and so, so take this with a grain of salt, but at least right at this moment, I am smitten. Nice. It is it is so much fun, because what they did, I mean, it's it's this MMO where you're going and you're, you're killing a lot of uh, similar types of enemies, but instead of really kind of basic combat they make you feel like the biggest badass in the world and the, the movement that you can do it's like something out of a, a platinum game or something and, and the, even that comparison doesn't really do it justice it's it's like you have something all the way on the other end of this giant room and it's just like oh just let me slide flap in the air and then float and like they just let you soar through the sky <laughs> and this is like I just made this character, and right. I can do oh, all of this cool that's stuff. That's an MMO no-no. Like you, right. don't, you don't grant flight until, yeah, level 30 or 40, at Ex least. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's the thing that I want to emphasize, is I'm just getting started. I have a super fresh character, and I feel like a god. And like just in the tutorial missions, uh, they're like, do you want uh, the kunai or this pistol? Do you want the assault rifle or this bow? And Brandy will be very happy to know <laughs> that I picked the bow. Thank you. And it's not just the movement. I can't emphasize how sick it is, because it's not just jumping and then floating. It's like, 
No, I'm going to slide, and then I'm going to spin jump out of it, and then I'm going to jump again out of that spin, and then I'm going to float. And that movement incorporates itself with the weapons. And so with this bow, you can charge it up, and you can one-hit kill a lot of this this basic low-level stuff that I'm fighting. And the ragdoll is amazing. Like, you hit them, and they just shoot across the room. And so you're just kind of, like, laughing giddily like a little kid. Giddily. You're just laughing like a little kid at it because of how ridiculous and how much fun it is. Um, and with the sword that I have, I'm sliding, and you can spin and cut people with the sword. Um, and I think... That's enough for me. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of getting the very beginning of the story. It's a little hard to follow. I hope to get more into it. I hope to get more into kind of the grind and understand what I'm chasing after and, and, and how crazy the mods get and the other types of frames, essentially classes, I guess, uh, that I can get. But just right now, the, the movement and the combat is so much fun. Uh, and I, I can't get over how good it looks. Like, I'm playing on PC and you, you have this free-to-play game that's been going on for a long time, but just these alien, like, ships that you're walking through or these snowy environments or just kind of, like, the distinct sci-fi sleekness of the, the frames themselves look so good. And it's just one of those moments where it's like, yeah, I've been, I've been really sleeping on Warframe, haven't I? Like, this, this is something that seems like, at first blush, is so well-made and is giving me so much for no money, and I feel like an idiot for not <laughs> checking it out sooner. So, yeah, every uh, in the uh, back in the day when I used to like really be observant of the trailers coming through GameTrailers.com, mm-hmm. it always struck me that when I would see updates from other MMOs, Guild Wars Two, Lord of the Rings, Elder Scrolls, Old Republic, they would be. It's kind of like. Either you're familiar with this property, like in the case of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, where, you know, if we just say this character or this planet or this this area, you're excited because we're adding that race or letting you explore that zone. Uh, where if it's something like Guild Wars, it's like we have a very specific story built up uh, that we are going to introduce you to a villain and then that's going to open up this new area. And stylistically, you're going to explore this new area and that's what's exciting. And every time I saw Warframe update, it's like, we're adding this whole new crazy thing to the game. Like, like, And it was clear to me, from not having played a minute of Warframe, what that was, how it worked, and just looking at gameplay, being like, that sounds kind of fun. Like, I remember one was like jets in space, where they're yeah. like, you can now fight in space. You can now just take off from the ships and just have like Iron Man jets on your shoulder and just fly mm. around and fight dudes that way. And I was like, that looks extremely cool. And from what I've seen of Warframe, is is clearly different from what I've seen them offer before. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think you just have so many of those updates, and then sooner or later, like, you have this uh, a foundation that was laid so many years ago, but just so many extra cool things that you can do on top of that, that uh, it doesn't necessarily seem daunting where, like, I'm starting the game, and I can have fun because I gotta level up to this point to get all this cool stuff. It's like, no, look at all the fun things that are, await me, you know, to, to yeah. go unlock and check out. Well, it, it, it is daunting, but not, not in that way where... Uh, I think on kind of a basic level, you're you're still like yes, there's a bunch of cool things you can do, and I I am nowhere near optimal in my movement or anything like that. But on a basic level, you are still just cutting dudes up and pointing and shooting at guys, and so I think you can kind of get into it in that way. Um, but before I get into what is daunting about it and why it's kind of cool, uh, I want to say there have been multiple times as I've been streaming and I've been using this bow, Brandon, mm, mm. and I'm like, okay, here's here's a game with a sick-ass bow, and I know Brandon lives for this, and I know he loves 
when done right, gaming treadmills, this just seems like it is perfectly built for Brandon Jones. And so I think... It, it's intimidating for me. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, do I want to get into this? Right, right. <laughs> no, I understand that. Um, what's daunting about Warframe, though, is with a lot of these games, and these games is such a vague way to put it, but any, anything that, that has a grind, and I, you see this with like gotcha games, where there's kind of this template that they take and then they just modify it a little bit. With Warframe... That's there, but it kind of does things its own way, where it's like, okay, you're going to get these cards, and then if you slot them in these specific spots with these weird symbols, they're not going to consume as much of your capacity. And it's they, they even call, like, experience this different thing, and it's just, it's kind of, Warframe feels like it's doing things on its own terms, which when I think you're getting into it, takes a while to wrap your mind around. Mm -hmm. But I also kind of respect. I, I like that it is being like, no, this is us. We're not going right. to like make this the same as everything else just for the sake of getting more people. And I, I think that's kind of cool and not something that you see all that often. Uh, I, I feel like I'm not elaborating on this as, as clearly as I want to, that but I, I think, I think uh, more time with the game will. I'll be able to speak better to that. But yeah, just... At the start, very impressed, want to play more, excited to play more Warframe. I'm going to make it a stream. So, very nice. Yeah. The beginning of a new MMO is a special time. It is a special <laughs> when time. When you first right. start to jump is it, really you level up so MMO, fast. is that like the right yeah. term for it? Or? I'm, I'm using Ben's words. You described it as that, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. But I mean, is Fortnite in a weird way an MMO as well? You know, it's like... You know. I guess the thing for me is you're getting together with squads of people mm -hmm. to go kill things and fight tough bosses and get loot. Right. And so to me, that's very MMO-y. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. I think it technically counts. Okay. What I mean, what else would you... Yeah. How else would you categorize it? Um, I don't know. I just... I, I guess I've never pictured Warframe as a game where you're, like, wandering around spaces with dozens of people with names floating over their heads. Right. Uh, and yeah, a lot of times the UI as the MMO is kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, big uh, pilot seat worth of symbols right. on the screen. Um, Brendan, you said that we should only bring this up if we have questions, and I do have questions because I didn't watch your preview Yippee! of Spider Man. <laughs> It feels like I remember when Arkham City was coming out, mm. and uh, you oh, had done preview access provided by PlayStation. Preview access provided by nice. PlayStation. Thank you, Blood. <laughs> we would not have remembered that. Nice. Uh, I remember right when. Right down to put that on the screen too. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> it's so weird that they make. I know. That. It's yep, so weird. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Anyway, I remember when Arkham City was coming out, and uh, like I did not know you as well then as I do now, because like you were kind of the guy that was doing your own thing, you had your own office, and you know, every once in a while you pop up and you'd have conversations, but <clears throat> not not isolated, I would say. Just right. like There were a lot of people at Game Shows. There were a lot of people <laughs> at Game Shows, right. Just just Yeah, it's a big company. Like not like there was an editorial core and then you had the editors and like you were just kind of in your corner. Mm. But I remember when Arkham City was coming out and you were like, No, I'm doing this. Like it was just like a I I live for this. You need to give me this Batman. Um and I don't say that disparagingly. I remember I asked Miguel, like, I can, t can, I, can I take this home? Can I take this home? And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. 
and then like I was gone. And I think right. he like called me and I was home. And he was like, I said yeah too soon. I wanted to get like a couple extra clips. And I was like, I'm home, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah. So like, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you picked the wrong game to tell me I could bring home. I always cracked me up. I was so cruel, but I was just like, I can't, it's it's in my 360 right now. You're not getting you're getting this game with my cold dead fingers. Right. <laughs> and the reason I bring this up is I get the same sense with you uh, with Spider Man, and you just just how Ugh. overwhelmingly excited you are for it. And I remember you talk about Spider Man two a lot, and how that game was enough for you because of how it made you feel like Spider Man when you were swinging through the world. And so my question for you, the biggest takeaway, like I, I enjoy Spider-Man. I enjoy Spider-Man as a character. I enjoy his mythos. But I'm not like you where I don't think just swinging around the city is going to be enough. Right. It's, it's like removed from kind of your deep love of the character. Is there enough there as a game? Yeah. I, and, and that to me, I think is one of the most surprising things from all the time that I've spent with it uh, from... You know, obviously watching all the trailers, playing the E3 demo as many times as my schedule could possibly allow, and then getting to spend five hours with, with it last week, is when I first went in, I was just like, I just got to play this game because I got to know that it feels good. Uh, I got to know that that swinging feels good and that moving around the city and, and getting good at that navigation and learning the tricks because I'm seeing him like do 90 degree turns when he's flipping around buildings and... Um, uh, I'm curious how it feels like when you're attached to buildings versus running. And what amazes me is every time I come away from a p- gameplay session, the swinging is like the last thing I'm thinking about. And I think that's not because it's not like revolutionary in this. Like they've done a lot of really cool things to streamline the movement. But it was so jar- it was so fantastic when I first played Spider-Man 2 on PS2. And it was such a huge difference from the way that they, o- d- dating back to PS1, Inter-Electro and the, you know, those old games, the way you used to do, even to Disney Infinity, the way you used to do Spider-Man movement and then being like, no, you've got to be by a building. That was so revolutionary for its time that it's hard to impress me with any kind of system you set up. Just as long as you do it right, I'm happy. And I think one of like the big things about movement that I like is there's one more like, I want to go to that location specifically. One more thing I can do if I just catch myself flying over a building and, ah, there's no web points, but I have, like, one more little dash that I can... There's, like, a couple of the tools they give you to change up how you're moving so that you can keep moving throughout the city. But uh, what what I keep being amazed by is, like, the combat. So much more fun than I imagined. Uh, the writing, I think, is really great. The characterization of Spider-Man and, and where this game falls in place, kind of like an Arkham, where it's like, this is not an origin story, they, we got Arkham Origins later on. Mm-hmm. This is very much like, no, he knows Croc. He knows Joker. He knows Two-Face. He knows these people. And he has this history with them. So when they bump into him, it's not an introduction. It's like, no, no, this is just another chapter of our story. And I definitely get that vibe, having played to the beginning of it now. And so it really seems like, I think the thing that I'm most excited now to see what the full game will offer is what risks are they willing to take and how how far are they willing to go to shock Spider-Man fans mm-hmm. and to do things? I mean, there's some stuff that happens, you know, within hours of just jumping into that game. The first couple hours, you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't like I've, I haven't read tons of Spider-Man comics, but like I'm not sure that's ever happened before. That's really neat. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the thing that that, that uh, surprises me the most is how little I keep coming back to talking about the swinging because it's just like they did it. Now moving on to the stuff that's that's new for me because I didn't play a lot of those late. Late uh, um, um, generation Spider-Man games, Web of Shadows, and all that stuff. Sure. Uh, when I was playing through Arkham Asylum, I thought about how much 
the Batman character kind of naturally helped that game in terms of of pockets of of variety that that were just kind of innate to that character. What I mean by that is like the the Arkham games are wonderful for their combat and for their movement, but Batman is also a character that every once in a while we'll take a step back and be like, let's think about this. Let's piece this together. Let's mm-hmm. use our gadgets in creative ways yeah. to solve this puzzle. And I think about Spider-Man, and obviously Spider-Man is a very smart guy, um, but I don't think about him in the same way as uh, Batman, where it feels like he's a little bit more high-octane, where it's a little bit more like, go, do this, be active. Um, and not really a concern, I guess, but what is this game going to do to mix it up beyond the fighting and the, the, the story sequences and, and where, where are you going to have those moments where you can kind of take a breath and appreciate it from a, another angle? Uh, take a breath is an interesting statement because like I didn't take a breath for like two and a half hours because yeah. it, it like <laughs> they really the way they set up the beginning of this game it's very much like you go directly from one story mission to another not I'm not saying they force you to do that and, and, and like very early on you can just branch out and go get all the towers or collect all these items if you want to but there was definitely a, a, a strong sense of immediacy where yeah. it's like Aunt May's on the phone she's like come on Peter I, get, you know, I need you at this thing and so like uh uh, I think that to me is the biggest difference that uh, because there was so much of like a behind enemy lines vibe to Arkham to that series <clears throat> that like I'm in the danger zone like I'm in a war zone right now and so I have to stop perch myself somewhere where I can analyze the situation from afar and kind of figure out what I need to do take out as many targets as I possibly can before I'm seen and then um, you know you, you plan all my gadget use beforehand and I think with Spider-Man like you were saying there's much more a sense of immediacy where it's like no I just kind of jump in like there was a little bit of stealth like there's some uh, spots where if you if any of you played the E3 demo or the demo that's been at uh, a couple of um, conventions and uh, it was playable at uh, Comic-Con where um, you can use stealth where I can just kind of like zip over here, wait for that guy to walk underneath me, pull him up and hang him there mm-hmm. uh, and kind of draw enemies over to particular areas. But there was just so much more. Um, I didn't really take advantage of a lot of the kind of like born identity, like I'm going to slam this guy's head into a you know oven, you know, that you could do in Arkham where it's just like, oh, the box. I saw when Huber was playing Arkham Knight the other day where it's like, yeah, I'm going to slam this guy into this box of electricity and shake him up. Right. Where when I was playing Spider-Man, it was all about like, no, I'm going to pull that down on top of those people. I'm going to, that guy threw a grenade. I'm going to grab that grenade, throw it at someone else. So there's just a lot of constantly thinking and looking around the environment. Like, how can I improvise and where can I move to? Like, a lot of the movement in Arkham was, where can I move to to get away from the people that I'm fighting? Or if I see someone on the other side, how can I kind of dance through these bad guys and block and avoid hazards so I can get over to them? Whereas Spider-Man, I just jump and zip there. You know, yeah. so, like, there's a lot more of, of moving around the environments faster. And as someone who's a, a diehard Batman fan, I think the movement in the combat translates a little better to Spider-Man. Because, sure. like, there were some moments in Arkham where he moved so fast, where, like, he you do a block... And he would like fly across the environment or like you'd go to punch and the game would recognize there's one more not dazed combatant on the other side of the arena. And with one step, Batman would like slide. over, And I'm like, what? That looked ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, that it felt good because that combat felt so good. But when you see Spider-Man do a little flip over there, it just seems more in tune with the way I see him move in comics and animation and film. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that's one of my big takeaways yeah I don't know if that answers your question specifically but it, it does I, because I when you when you get into science and his acquisition of gadgets and stuff 
starts to get a little spoilery. So I don't want to sure. get into that. That's fair. Um, and I, I don't want to say that, oh, man, high octane is bad. You can't do it well. I, I think things like Bayonetta prove that you totally can do it sure. well and you can stay at that level. It's, it's not necessarily the energy that you have. It's, it's how you play around with that speed and, and what you're doing and, and what the tone of it is. Um, but along those same lines, again, making, making another Arkham comparison, sometimes uh, <clears throat> a complaint that you see about things like Arkham and things that were inspired or, or took from Arkham is that it's like, okay, this combat is fun, but I feel like every fight is just hit, hit, counter, hit, hit, counter, or, or there's a similar feeling to a lot of these brawls. Um, is that something that you're experiencing in Spider-Man, or do you feel like you have so many tools that that each fight is fresh? Yeah, I I didn't unlock a ton of stuff. There was definitely like a, a, a lock where they're like, to <clears throat> unlock this thing, add more story tokens. And I'm like, well, they're not letting me do any more story missions, so I'm stuck mm. there. So I didn't get a ton of stuff. Um, but I, again, I think the it's not necessarily the gadgets, but the the how you can jump up on top of things. Like one example of a fun thing I just did accidentally that was like, oh, that's great, was you have uh, R1, you can web guys. I think you have six charges of it. So if I put all charges into one guy, if I just hit him a couple times, he'll slow down for a second and then rip the webbing away. Mm -hmm. But if I hit him with six of them, then he's like stuck to a wall or stuck to the floor. And then, uh, and those... um, uh, recharge over time and then I unlocked I think it's like a web bomb or something where I only have two of those but just one will instantly take someone out mm. and those take a little bit longer to recharge and one time just accidentally I held down circle and I knocked a guy in the air and then hit him and he stuck to the ceiling and so you're like oh so it's like yeah th- I wouldn't necessarily say that was tactical right but it's funny <laughs> so like there are moments like that where it's like fun to just knock a guy off a cl- off a ledge of a building um where like you don't necessarily get many opportunities to do that in the arkham series um because you're not like uh a lot of the, the the combat zones were a little bit more guarded than these uh and uh, or just that moment where a guy with a rocket launcher will shoot one at you, like a rocket at you and your spider sense will go off and you'll dodge just at the last second as it hits somebody else yeah so there's just a lot more of i think unpredictability um whereas i think uh i felt a little more necessity of strategy in arkham keep in mind i just played the beginning of the game so sure. like it might get to just create especially with some of the boss fights like might get to like improvisation's over you really got to get the choreography down where you're doing very specific things with this this boss in particular but um I felt less of a, gosh, this is tough because these guys have barriers and that guy's got electricity and more, I'm going to have fun with this. You know, right. like, yeah, I, I finished that and I, I checked that beat off the map, but I might go back to that once I get more comfortable with these, kind of pick my, my favorite parts of the arsenal. The fact that you just threw improvisation in there, I think is very telling and like pretty exciting. Yeah. Even just like <clears throat> stunning someone because I don't want you to shoot me anymore. Like somebody with a gun, just like, stop shooting at me. It's kind of fun. It feels like Spider-Man in a way. Right. You know, and the um, the writing's really great. Again, like Batman doesn't have a lot of great quips while he's in combat where Spider-Man's talking all the time. So um, he had a lot of fun. When like a new wave would show up, he's like, oh, come on. You yeah. Know? So I think fun vibes. one of the greatest things about video games ever, like top three things, and it's so hard to do, I would imagine, uh, from a design perspective, is what you were talking about, where you just did something and you didn't expect the outcome, yeah. uh, and but you were able to discover it. That sort of surprise, like I cherish it when you just have that moment where you're like, I didn't even think about that. And the reason I think it's so hard to do, right, is because you have to explain to the player what the parameters are. Yeah, and so you have to give them a a clear idea of where they can go and how they could do it. 
And so if you want to go that extra layer of having this crazy stuff that they might not even see, you have to find ways of incorporating that that, that makes sense and aren't confusing. Mm-hmm. And you would do things that would unnaturally allow for it. And that's just anybody that can do that. And like Breath of the Wild is so full of those moments. Like you guys are geniuses. Like I, I don't envy <laughs> I don't envy that task. Well, Brendan, it sounds like Spider-Man is more than living up to your expectations. Yeah, it. I really get the vibe that there were some real serious hardcore meetings in Insomniac where they were like, let's not screw this up. Like, yeah. let's, what can we do? Uh, let's not say no to anything. Like, mm-hmm. what can we add in? You know, like, I will only, anyone who's not a Spider-Man fan, get out of this office right now. Right. And let's focus on, down to, uh, there are like backpacks you can find that help you increase your tech. They're like little tokens. And, uh, you know, typically in games, you're just like, oh, I got to find some dumb feather in Assassin's Creed game. But like, these were left behind by Peter when he first started out as Spider-Man. And he needed like a change of clothes or like a little costume backup or something. And so like, when you do your first one, he's like, oh yeah, right. I forgot. I put these around the city. Should probably go collect these. I don't need them anymore. And so, like, they're all. Each one is a fun little nostalgic moment where he'll like find it and be like, "Oh yeah, my ID from that time I worked at." Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or like Matt Murdock's business card. Cool. And so, like, it just feels like they want to put so much stuff in here that you're familiar with as a Spider-Man fan, but at the same time, set up things. Uh, they they troll in the beginning story wise in one mission. I was like, oh, here we go, this moment. And then they were like, no, <laughs> like, oh god, you got me, you know. Like, <laughs> I'm not even that into Spider Man, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm a big DC guy. And so, like, it was really later in life that I first started reading X Men and Punisher and a lot of that stuff. And so, oh, interesting. Like later in life, yeah. when you when do you mean? Uh, like high school. Okay. Like when I <laughs> when I like I met I met uh, my friend Jeff, a co-founder of Game Trailers, big X Men fan. He gave me like his whole collection. Uh, and uh, nice. my friend Nathan, who also co-founded uh, Game Trailers. Was uh, Spider Man was his absolute favorite character, and so the t- the two of us would like talk about what would sp- what would Spider Man and Batman do if they were forced into situations. And, sure. Um, so yeah, so it's neat that I can be this this vibing on the story and how it's told, uh, and I could you can just feel the giddiness with an insomniac where they're like, yeah, we get yeah. to do our versions of all these characters and and mess with your expectations, not in a way that's like harmful. That I feel Arkham could do sometimes because. Batman's brutal. It's a brutal world. <laughs> but like uh it, it, it's that they Insomniac does it in a fun way, in a way that you're anticipating and looking forward to. Yeah. Do you wanna know what the best part is? It's right around the corner, baby. I know. It's yeah, right here. I know. I, know, I, know. <laughs> it's right I really here. gotta start thinking about what's going on at the end of the month. We're just like, all right, don't want to put too much of my plate. Right. Clear it all for sure. Batman. Yeah. Speaking of Insomniac, Blood, you've been digging into an Insomniac game that oh, yeah. I feel like came out of nowhere and I'm very excited to talk to you about. Definitely. And you've been playing some Sunset Overdrive. Nice. Yeah, just just the first three hours so far. Uh, but I, I I missed it when it came out because I didn't have an Xbox One yet. And uh, and I wanted to uh, play something uh, fun and light for the summer and I put that on the poll for uh, Blood Pact, which is one of the tiers on Patreon. And uh, people voted for it. And uh, so I got, got to check it out. And one of the things we were talking about Warframe, we we're talking about Spider-Man, like movement in Sunset Overdrive is everything. Yeah, it, and it and it just feels so good and so fluid uh, to get in there and and to be doing uh, this sort of horde style combat, which can become such a slog in so many games. Mm-hmm. But because you're always on the move and you're always just zipping around them and bouncing and and doing all this stuff, it it just feels really good to just keep keep moving and keep shooting and change up to get a new weapon uh and uh the attitude in it is is pretty crazy i mean i i guess it's what you'd expect from 
a game that's based on an energy drink turning people into zombies. Right. <laughs> I forgot it was an energy drink. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and chat was constantly saying how much Kyle would hate this game. Mm. Because it's always breaking the fourth role. It's always doing weird little things, poke, poking fun at culture, poking fun at video game tropes, mm-hmm. and, and just just going kind of kind of off the rails. You've got this group of high school kids that are hanging out in the arcade, and they have the smarts to make this device that you need, uh, but they're just lazy. And you've got to go do some stupid thing for them, like get them a bunch of like premier bottled water, you know. And it's like, why are these guys alive? Who knows? You know, it's like, oh, they they are just too good to drink the energy drink, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was playing through Sunset Overdrive for review, it was it was a hard game to kind of pin my feelings down on because when you have a game that that is. Uh, so loud and abrasive when it's humor, and it, that's kind of the point. I feel like sometimes you kind of fall into the trap of, well, I thought that was funny, and I super thought that wasn't. Yeah. Right? Sure. And so you have these ups and downs. And I remember <laughs> that happening to me with Sunset Overdrive. Where I'm like, ah, that's pretty cute and clever. And other times I'm like, no, that just didn't didn't work at all. Uh, obviously, you're not finished with the game, but are you kind of having an up and down feeling with it? Are you are you a little bit more consistent with the humor? Are you vibing with it? Um, I haven't had too much down that I can think of. I'm trying to think if there's something that was really super weird. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, obviously I've only done three hours or so. Uh, but, I, 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 again, I went into this game being very casual and very open to whatever this crazy game has to offer. Yeah. So, I, I think, to me, that was sort of, you know, just throw at me whatever you want. Yeah, and, I, and I'll take it. I'll go along with it. Uh I do think uh, the weapons definitely show, you know, one of those Insomniac strong suits. Yep. You know, you get in there and like one of the first weapons you get is, you know, shooting uh, vinyl records mm-hmm. at people and having them ricochet all over the place. I really, uh, really enjoy the uh, the freeze gun because, you know, you just like stop a bunch of zombies in their tracks and then go down, rock it down, and smash them to pieces or, or mm-hmm. punch them in the face or whatever. Uh, but one of the things I really, really appreciate is uh, the amps, uh, which I think are easy to forget about. And I've only you know unlocked like the starter set or whatever. But they encourage you to keep moving. So the nice. more you yeah. move, the more you build up the style meter. And as you go through the kind of like layers of that style meter, you unlock just better attacks and, and better uh, functions. And like the one that it stands out the most to me right now is like your melee attack allows you to throw fireballs. So your melee attack becomes a ranged attack. Nice. Right. Uh, and, and just, again, like encouraging to just, yeah, keep moving. Don't stop. Don't, you know, stand in one place and let the hordes surround you or whatever. Just, you know, start bouncing, start start grinding and, and move your way around. Yeah, I... I completely agree with you because I think there are times, especially once the the hordes start getting more intense as you get through that game, I think there's maybe a little bit of a natural desire to to be like, listen, I understand that the whole point is moving, but I also just kind of want to post up and and clear things or do this in the most efficient way possible. And you're absolutely right. I do appreciate how much they incentivize you to not do that and how to, to go out of your way and constantly be on the move and try crazy things and do cool stuff. Uh, with all the different weapons. I also think, just as a general rule, that if your game has good grinding in it, 
like you get a full extra point in my mind. Right. It's just so much fun. Well, one of the things I wasn't <laughs> expecting is the some a couple of missions started having like cross this channel or whatever, like this essentially like river in the middle of the map. And you can briefly grind on the surface of the water. And that felt really good. It's like jump and just slide across and hop again and then bounce off of a boat. Uh, and, and again, not, not taking itself too seriously. Like you can bounce off of the dumbest things. There's mm-hmm. just no reason you should bounce into the air like 20 feet from a car. But you can do it, and it works, and it feels good. Is there a way we can get more sunset overdrive? I don't no, know. Only Spider-Man now. It's only Spider-Man. I don't know. Okay. Nope. That's all they're going to work <laughs> on now. They're going to go straight from this into Spider-Man Two. Insomniac's worked on multiple projects before, though. They're oh. a big enough group. Hush. <laughs> he shut it down, blind. <laughs> there will be no talk of such dreams. Like you? I don't know how well it's sold, though. I mean, I, I'm playing it on uh, Game Pass. Yeah. So thankfully, I took that. Well, box. that's just that's just it. Is I I'm just yeah. I'm so excited for this. The I mean, Spider Man's gonna be huge. You know, so yeah. I'm just excited that Insomniac's gonna have a nice win there, and and not only get to work on a property, but not only get to make a good game, but have that game be recognized and right. um, have that be one of the best sellers of the year. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Sunset Overdrive fell into a very awkward spot for me, and I feel like yeah. every year there's always uh, one or two of these games that I feel like when we when we get around to the end of the year or like upon later reflection, you're like, oh, that's really frustrating, where I think I gave it like a, a seven or something, and mm-hmm. I, I liked it. There were just, you know, significant problems that I had with it. Very divisive like, game. Right. And Even it's at like, launch. Still now, like, but definitely at launch. There's more I want from this. I enjoyed this. I just had problems. And I, I feel like it's really hard for those games to exist. Yeah. Uh, well, again, going back to just the horde mechanic, I can see that getting tiresome. I can see, you know, playing 10, 15 hours of the game where you're just constantly getting surrounded and having to keep things from overwhelming mm-hmm. uh, points on the map or whatever. As much fun as, as it is to, to grind and experiment, there are times where you're just like, just let, just let me go. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Just let me well, but that screw around me of, and pull, yeah. you know, grab toilet paper off these poles or whatever. But that describing it that way reminds me of uh, the Save the World mode in Fortnite, which I was addicted to for right. yeah. and probably will get back to being addicted to in a couple months or so. But uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I skipped it. I remember that at the time, actually, um, Ben. I remember that being one of those games where it brought resurfaced the discussion of sevens are okay, right? You know, like yeah, give absolutely. something a seven and still highly recommend it. Right. It's just that I have issues with it, but I know people that all the issues that I said will fall by the wayside because this is this is the game they want. I just have to, you know, I can't ignore all of these problems that I have and right. all the potential that this game could have based yeah. on my. And again, like stuff stuff like the, you know the 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 kind of skater punk style and and the humor being hit or miss like that's just one of those things where you know again kyle bossman would not like that game just because of all the dialogue just hard out i love the synergy between blood pact and frame trap you know i Mm. love that like you're guaranteed at least once a month (laughs) right to have a good or you know once every other you don't know what it's going to be have a good but no idea you could be it could be something super new it could be older yeah yeah I think it's super cool that you're playing Sensitive Overdrive. It's it's one of those where it's like if I had infinite time, I'd love to go and, sure. and you know check in with my initial opinion on it. I'd love to play all the old Ratchet games. Yeah, I never really got into Ratchet. Yeah. I was a big Jack and Dexter guy in the early years of Sly, but uh, never never jumped fully into the deep end of uh, Ratchet and Clank. Much like Warframe, man, playing Sly two during that charity stream. I was <laughs> like, what have I been doing? This right. is great. <laughs> I can't believe how good this is. Yeah, yeah. happens yeah. all the time. At PS two. 
That PS2. Uh, speaking of games that are consuming our time, Brandon was like, <laughs> I'm really worried about this frame trap because I've only been playing one thing for two weeks. Um, I, I'm obviously going to jump in here because I've, I've played all of it and uh, have things to say, but I really want to get your opinion, Brandon, because we got my review going up and I already talked about it on a frame trap. Uh, Octopath Traveler. Yeah. And a wonderful review. It's cut. I literally I hit the export button on the final version. And um, please be excited. That's a hard game to. And, and you know what I thought you actually did really well. What's so that? Allow me to compliment you for five seconds. Oh boy. I have read some sizable Ben Moore scripts in my day, <laughs> and I think you did a really good, concise argument with that game. I think you really boiled down what could have been just this, you know, magnum opus into just a very concise. Here's what you need to know, especially for people that are like, well, I already beat it. I don't know why I'm watching the review. You know, like, right. it, you know, it has been a little bit since launch. Like, I think it's just really perfectly encapsulates. Here's what I thought about the game. And I didn't, as someone who has played it and shares a lot of your concerns. Yeah. I didn't feel like I didn't need anything when that script was over. I was like, cool. Oh, he did it. Done. Uh, not, not to get too inside baseball, because maybe this is only interesting to us, but it's been a little bit of a learning process, Brandon, since Easy Ally started, uh, where I remember with my beginning reviews, um, a critique that I would get quite often that I agreed with was it's like, hey, man, there, there are things that you're not mentioning or there are things you are not going enough in depth with uh, that you need to. And I looked at the reviews and I was like, you're right. What I was doing is I don't want to you can't talk about everything. Uh, so you have to you have yeah. to kind of construct it in a way where you feel like you're getting the picture uh, and you're being convincing without going into like dumb detail about everything and you're just bogging it down. But then I overcorrected. And I think um, there were a couple of scripts where, like, I look back at them now and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is just too much. It's just, like, you can get the point of cross without, yeah. without saying this much. And so now I'm trying to find the best of both worlds where it's like, okay, we're, we're taking a picture. It's just a learning process. I'm sure a year from off, now I'm going to be like. Off topic, but one of my favorite Michael Damiani memories. Yeah. He reviewed Kingdom Hearts something. No, it wasn't Kingdom Hearts. Epic Mickey. Epic Mickey 2. And they added voice acting. And I remember I got the script and he didn't mention the voice acting. And I went to Damiani and I was like, oh, hey, uh, I think we just mentioned the voice acting in the script. I mean, that's like a thing that wasn't in the first game and it's in this one. And, he, and Damiani was like, I don't care. He's like, that didn't. <laughs> he's like, I played Epic Mickey 1 and that did not make the game better or worse for me. Right. I don't feel it's worth mentioning. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I yeah. went to Ryan Stevens and I was like, what do I do? And Ryan's like, oh, he's like, this is funny. We've never come across this issue before. And he's like, don't tell a reviewer what they should or should not mention in yeah. their script. And I was like, okay, touche. Yeah. That's <laughs> never happened. It's that was like with the first moments where I was like, I actually know something about this game that I haven't played that the reviewer didn't mention in the script. But it, just because it's like, there's so many things. There are issues yeah. I had with Octopath you didn't bring up, but it's yeah. like, so That's nitpicky, who cares? Yeah. Um, Got to focus on one, it. One last thing I want to bring up with the reviews, because I'm, I'm genuinely curious about uh, what you guys think, or if you run into this, there are things in a review that there there are sometimes where I, the music is just either is just usually so good that I'm like, okay, I have to talk about the music yeah. at least a little bit, and I always get extremely nervous to talk about the music um, because it's like, well. <laughs> Boy, it sounds real pretty and got me excited during the fight. And it's yeah. just it's just one of those areas where it's like sure. I am not skilled enough in this to to have that confidence to really go into great detail about why this is excellent music. Mm -hmm. And so I always get a little tripped up there. And I wonder if you have anything uh, like that where you feel that way. Good person to ask. Yeah. yeah. Someone who's written a lot about describing music right. specifically. Yeah, you know, and it's it's still difficult. I mean, I think in some ways it gets more difficult the more you, you do it because you're mm -hmm. just like, I've said that yes. before. You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I was kind of like... 
you know, racking my head, like, because uh, we'll get to it in a second, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on uh, wrapping up the Banner Saga 3 review and, like, getting to the music bits last night, and I'm like, all right, there's things here that I want to include, and, like, why, like, these elements of the music are influencing this, but, like, what exactly am I trying to say? Like, what is it actually doing? And then, like, but there's this other bit, but why, why, yeah, what, like, I recognize these things, but, like, I don't know that quite all the way put them into words as to like how effective they're being um and and sometimes too you know it's it's just a natural part of music that when you're playing a game the music's affecting you but you're not paying attention to the music Mm -hmm. and so then you go back and you listen to the soundtrack and like i recognize all these tracks but i didn't even you know i didn't pay any attention to what was happening in this track and like how much it was doing what you know what these horns are doing and what this percussion is doing and and in a way it's kind of it's kind of funny because you can have a really great sandwich, but you don't notice the cheese until you take that slice of cheese off and have a bite. And it's like, ooh, that cheese is really right, good. Right. I didn't notice that before. Well, I think repetition also plays into it, too, because there was one track that cracked me up. Uh, I liked identifying, and I love this with multiple multiple, multiple character RPGs, where you, oh, that's that's their theme, you know, and it right. comes up at the right moment. I loved Ulbricht's theme. Mm-hmm. Um, that one I, I never got sick of. And... But there's one theme that I came to, like, it found a place in my head because it reminded me of, like, the Brady Bunch theme at the end of every Brady Bunch episode where it's like, well, the thing mom was. And then, mm-hmm. dun, 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 and we just get slow on piano. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and there's this one, like, doom, 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 doom. And it's like, oh, things are getting serious. Yeah, you know, like it would always come up. We're having our emotional moment. Yeah, like oh, and so it's funny. Like that's what you don't want to do with music is kind of telegraph the scene you're about to see. Mm -hmm. When I can hear that track start, I'm oh, okay, here we go. It's like South Park. You know, I learned something today. Like those moments. Uh, uh, Yeah, lots of lots of pieces of music, and you know, it's like I'm so. I'm such a snob when it comes to music and games, but like that first time I fast traveled from one town to another town and the music track didn't skip a beat because it was the same track, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in each uh, town. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but it's like, how many towns are there? Not like 20. Right. And it's like to come up with one track per that's asking a lot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Your modern day RPG. I think about it's it's great that my first Octopath experience was with you. Um, yeah. And I remember us kind of sharing this collective sentiment of being like, oh, "Wow, like there's there's really a lot here. We're we're kind of getting invested in Primrose's story. Uh, we're digging the combat. Oh my gosh, that boss boss sprite is so huge." Yeah. Um, now that you've seen all of those character stories, you've done you've done all the chapter fours. You're working your way through the the final little post dungeon final boss stuff, which is <laughs> it's, it's challenging. Um, how do you feel about it? Is it still kind of that same high? Sure. I think the thing at the end of the day that excites me the most about this franchise, especially if this works out well for Acquire and they're able to... That's the name of the company, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize that name from Bravely Default. Were there's, they the same name or did they... There's, just... a, there's people from Bravely Default working on it, but it is ah, not the same right. studio. Ah, okay, there we go. Um, uh, and that was that it's new. You know, yeah. that like, and all the issues where I was like, these characters should be talking to each other more, mm-hmm. or like, there you go into missions and it's like, oh, so you showed up by yourself, did you? And you're like, no, I've got 
my party with me, you know, and then like you'd finish a challenge and it's like, you did that all by yourself. And you're like, I didn't. <laughs> I yeah. would have failed this hardcore without a healer. Are you nuts? <laughs> um, at the same time, I was like, how cool that I'm playing this RPG that's unlike anything I've ever played before, you know, and like where I would find a way that I would maybe want to change that moving into a sequel or something that I wish they had known was going to happen once they started this interesting project. Um, at the same time, I would find something that I thought really brought this game to life uh, more than I was expecting it to. I think one of my favorite things is I would go into a town as a character and like all of them have, you know, they have the four chapters per character, but all those chapters are geared towards a specific town and you might've already been there. So it was interesting in chapter two. So chapter one is where you meet them all. Chapter two is then they go to like the next branch of their story. And that would take them to a town that I hadn't been to before. And I would do the town as that character. And then it was fun. Like there was one part where uh, the hunter goes in and her snow leopard comes out and is like walking around. And she's like, what is Oh, we're in snow. Yeah. (laughs) And she's Uh. like, we're finally in snow. And then, you know, the opposite side, you go to a desert town and the cat's like. Uh, And so it was neat getting familiarizing myself with a town as one character uh finding specific spots in that town that were relevant to that story Mm -hmm. and then coming into that town as a totally different character passing those locations and being like i know who lives there but this character doesn't or might not care Mm -hmm. you know and so it's neat to see the world come to life with these paths crisscross you know um going their own separate ways and revisiting these areas the towns to me i think is I know you love the combat, and like I think yeah. you you have way more experience than me in JRPGs with uh, the complexities, potential complexities of combat systems. Mm-hmm. I loved the combat. I, I have very few complaints. But to me, I think honestly, the the towns were the giant win for me in this game. Just like how yeah. different they felt, the stories behind them, um, all of the surrounding areas, the fact that like they were all separated by like deserts, mountains, flatlands, woods. And you got you even if I went to another town, I was like, oh, this reminds me of that other town, the town that the hunter started in. Yeah. It was neat seeing those themes, uh, visual themes come up again. And obviously, it's such a beautiful game. Yes. It's really fun that the moment, first moment you go into like a new town just to look around and mm-hmm. uh, get to high spots and see the way they tease some locations when you're like about to get to the town going through the path and you'll see like that castle in the distance and then you get into the town and yep. then it looks a lot bigger. Sucker for stuff like that. Yeah, I think visually, um, absolutely the towns felt very distinct. Uh, just whether it was like embedded in the side of a mountain or it's like, here's this really small town where everything's kind of right there or here's this large one where you have to, there are different parts to it and yeah. you're going to different screens to just get to the weapon shop or whatever it is. Um, I, I would say the only thing that was a little bit weird for me, um, and I, I think come, part of this comes down to presentation and part of it comes down to layout is... Visually, they looked different, yes, but functionally, they were all the same. Like Every item shop was just a menu. Every yeah. weapon shop was just a menu. Yeah. Stealing stuff from people was the exact same in every place. And so on one hand, you do have these really nice differences. On the other, it, it kind of bled together because it was like, man, stealing stuff from people is so valuable. I'm just going to make sure that every town I go to, there's check marks by everyone. Right. And I think once you do that enough, uh, you kind of just get a little bit numb to it. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, that's what I was wondering. With the character actions, like, does it feel like you have to talk to every single character in the game eight times? You don't really have to talk to them. Um, right, but I mean, it's sort of like that interaction. Yeah, yeah. You, you just you go up to them, you do the path action, you apply it, essentially, and yeah. then you... you you know, you get the hit a hit an item, or you you steal from them, or you purchase from them, or whatever it ends up being. So, yeah, um, let's talk about uh, beyond the towns. Let's talk about the the character stories because, boy, and the the, the sense 
uh, came to me more as I play it. Managing eight character stories, especially like very individual character stories, like that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to, we're going to be doing a whole spoiler mode discussion on Octopath Traveler, so I don't really want to get into the nitty gritty of what they're about, but how did they, how did they make you feel, you know, how, how was kind of your opinion on them from chapter one to chapter four? Uh, it's weird. I don't really have one feeling that takes me through the entire experience. Mm. Like, I think there were some chapters that surprised me. There were some chapters uh, that met my expectations, but pleasantly so. Yeah. Where I would walk into a town and see a building and be like, I hope that's what I think it is. And then like, yeah, that would happen. Like, um, some of the finales are, are really great. Um, and uh, And then at the same time, there were some that were just very dumb like just <laughs> like you would like i would start the chapter and be like what's happening i think that was probably like the ones that i was most frustrated with where it's like if you really want to sell this concept i should move into each chapter being like here we go you know like yeah. okay if you have i only have four chapters per character you know it's like to have a chapter where a person walks into a town and it's like well what am i gonna find here and you're like oh you should there should be a little more than that there should be some kind of more of a, a direction and i wonder if that's them almost looking at, you know, these eight times four, like these 32 different vignettes and wondering, like, maybe to change things up, we'll make some boring, you know, like maybe we'll make one just an accident, just something you stumble across and not necessarily like a mission that you set out to do, because a couple of those characters have very clear mission primrose. I mean, if you play the demo, like she's on a mission, you know, whereas right. like some of the other people are just like exploring. They're just kind of going out in the world and finding themselves. Um, and kind of those are the ones that I was a little like. All right, you know, I need a little bit. Um, I didn't like the stumbling bosses where it's like, oops. <laughs> like, all right, I guess I'll fight this thing. Right. Cool. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot more when, um, uh, like, twists were fine, but I liked it a lot more when it's like, no, I came here to fight this beast or monster person, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you do it and yeah, it feels good. Um, obviously, a lot of people are, are kind of commenting on the the 16-bit style mm-hmm. of, of Octopath Traveler, and something that I realized as I was going through it that I think would have added a lot for me uh, is, like, if you go into the, the status menu of the different characters, just jaw-dropping art, just really beautiful, mm. yeah, gorgeous yeah. character art. Um, and I, I love the 16-bit presentation, uh, but something that, that I wish it had is during the conversations, just, like, maybe a little character portrait or something, or just some sort sure. of... Emote to go along with what they're saying. Like, you don't necessarily need to overdo it, but I think um, it would maybe uh, allow the things that they're expressing to come through just a bit more clearly. Obviously, they do animations and stuff with the sprites themselves, uh, but I, I just, that art is so good that I yeah. think they could have mm. maybe used it a little bit more thoroughly in what, the text boxes or something. What I liked comparing it to a lot of uh, 16-bit RPGs that I've just played personally from my experience was they were a little bit taller, yeah. So like their their body was a little bit bigger, so there was they could do more with their hands. They can like put their hand on their face, right. or like, um, uh, yeah. When I when I when I I just love the movement that way. I thought that was a, a lot more natural, just compared to other sprite based games that I played. So I don't know if you know you can point. Obviously, like I think the Chrono Trigger sprites were, sprites were a lot bigger than six. So even on the Super Nintendo, there was a, a you know uh, yeah they varied. Four were tiny, um, but I just I just thought they did a good job. Uh, I don't know. I was I was kind of a sucker for that. I didn't really feel those moments. Uh, each of the chapters ends with a full card that they show of the art. Yes, and every well, every the, single one of those, I was like, oh, yes, like they all, yes. they, like all the chapters end, all the storylines end on a, just a really great beat. And so, yeah. um, I was I was charmed by all of that. But um, 
I don't know. I really bought into the visual style. I, yeah. I, I second a thing you mentioned in the review, which was the focus was just out of control. Like they were like, that thing's 10 feet away. It's out of focus. Right. <laughs> no, it's not. I wonder if that was because they you couldn't. And, and like there were some loading times where I'm like, come on. <laughs> right. it's, it's a 16 I don't, bit. I don't like. think it was a limitation thing. I, I just think it's something about the the look that they've gone. Because that was uh, true back in uh, 3D dot game heroes as well. It mm-hmm. kind of had a depth of field effect uh and, and it's striking it, it, it yeah. fits when you really want to focus on one scene and then just kind of see everything else in the background but mm-hmm. i saw somebody on uh twitter or youtube that was complaining because they were inside of a building and it was still picking up the sun reflection or something mm. so they were having like sparkles around the building yeah. like what's going on um yeah i think once you see some of those environments for the first time it's eye-catching and then when you go back through them a bunch you're like all right snow sparkles calm down yeah <laughs> it's a bit much i love how Thoroughly, it feels like you explore that world by the end of it. Yeah. How you kind of start in the center of the map with all the different characters, and then they just all kind of go their different directions. Uh, that, to me, really evokes the Traveler vibe. Like, by the time I had wrapped up that game, I was like, no, like, I'm very familiar with this land. Yeah. Uh, which which was a, a welcome experience, for sure. Yeah. Um, a complaint that I've seen a, a couple of times is not that... Too many people seem upset. Uh, but I remember, like, Kyle, we were talking about it before we shot Tabletop Escapades. And he was like, ah, oh, man, I, I started with Ophelia and the character that you picked, you're locked into yeah. until you finish their story. And he was like, I, I just don't want her to, I don't want to be locked in with her. I don't I don't like that. Um, did that frustrate you at all? It did didn't because I picked the hunter. So I was yeah. pretty satisfied okay. with, you just knew. With, with her the <laughs> yeah. whole way. I picked uh, I got my bow. Well. I got my bow. I got, oh, I got a... Uh, um, my beast by my side. Yeah. You know, the your your master has a wolf, and I was like, oh, I'd love that wolf, but oh well. <laughs> um, I, mean, I was uh, I was wondering, like, yeah, it'd be nice if you could maybe pick your animal, but she has like a very close relationship with the cat. Um, yeah, that didn't uh, uh, bother me so much, but I think if if they're gonna do a sequel to this game and they're gonna take this eight and maybe like bump it up to ten or drop it to six or something, like however they can change this up, moving into another game. Obviously, the, the number one thing that they can do to approve is some more of a synergy between all of those different party members. Yeah, um, because it, it, it like it was weird, kind of trying to, to to wrap your head around the reality of this place that you were in, where it's like they're there but they're not. You know, whenever I do the chapters, it's just this character. It almost seemed like they were going out of their way to bring up those moments where they're like, "Ah, oh, it's just you." Mm-hmm. You're like, "It's so not. I'm always with me and my other people, and so I don't know why they can't be there." Um, there were just some moments where, like, you know, they're all they're all fitting classic archetypes where you have your warrior, thief, you know, mage, and it seemed like they would kind of cross over sometimes where, like, the merchant would meet someone who's kind of a thief, and I'm like, this would be a great opportunity for Therian to show up and comment on the situation, and right. it was just weird that maybe they were just like, ah, this is too much work for us to even think about that, but it's like that's the chapter one where they have to start in the sequel to be like, how can we make them pop up aside from just like, oh hit you know the plus button if you want to hear them talk about a random thing and even those scenarios that was like they were like across they were like hi hot it let's talk about this. it's like this does not seem like a natural conversation at all yeah the the travel it's called travel banter yeah um and it's it's kind of like the 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 skits in the tales games some of them are really funny like some of them are revealing and so, so that's the thing brandon that really stuck with me and uh, a story that i have to tell about with that is a lot of the the press the plus button to talk to your party just felt like nothing 
It'd be like, wow, Cyrus, you're really smart. I bet that'll be useful and maybe I can learn from you. And it's like, uh, okay. This doesn't really feel like a natural conversation that people that are traveling around the world would have. You, yeah. know, you would maybe maybe expect it to be a little bit more revealing. And I remember I like finished... I, I had either was like at the very final boss or I had finished the final boss and I just went into a tavern and it was like, press plus to talk. And uh, Alfin told this great story about this time he delivered this letter and this lesson that he learned for it. But it was actually like really fascinating and felt like a childhood story that he was revealing. He was giving me more of his past self. And it's like, okay, obviously maybe not all of them can be this good, but like where was this 30 hours ago? Right. Like even just like a taste of it. Yeah. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's weird. It's like the way they do it. They put a spotlight where like everything stops and they're like story moment. It's happening now. Pay attention to this. This is big. Mm-hmm. And it's like to me in the in the era we are now almost like in a post Last of Us world where like the moments that blew me away about Last of Us were not the big cinematic moments. They were just something Ellie would say really quickly as an aside while I was like crawling through a tunnel. And I'm like, what? What did she? Whoa, that was cool. Mm-hmm. That really felt like an honest interaction that we would have. And so it's almost like I need those little tiny beats. Right. I need one character be in a cutscene and Therian to be like, yeah, but you're like, shut up, Therian, I'm trying to deal with this. Like that to me would really, like I'm here, I'm present. It's not that like insert backdrop or wherever you pressed the start button to cue this and that's where we are, quote yeah. unquote. You know, it's like, no, I'm actually, sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm not. It'd be interesting if the game, because some battles you do fight by yourself. Sometimes the game forces you to fight solo. Yeah. And so it'd be neat if there was that clear separation of the character telling the party, I got this. Right. No, you. I have to separate from myself from you. Um, again, I wasn't like weeping the whole game because they weren't doing stuff like that. But to me, it's just a very clear improvement they can do on what you know. In a lot of ways, is a very fascinating it RPG is. story structure. Absolutely, and and does have its benefits. But uh, that was the big jarring one for me. Yeah. Um, that the uh, yeah they just need to be more aware of. Um, just going back to the locked in thing uh, and how it didn't bother you because you were uh, very happy with the choice. I, I was relatively happy with Hana as well. She wasn't my favorite character by any means, but I, I was okay with it. The thing that bothered me is like the times that I chose to grind. It yeah. was like, let let me just let me just get you out. Like, yeah, Hana, yeah, yeah. you're good on levels. Let me just get you out. Well, especially because there's people. eight, and right. so there's four and four. Yes. So it's a, it's a perfect party swap. Yes, yes. You can't. You can't do there's it. There's always just you know, oh, yeah. Alfin. Like, can I? Like, sorry, Alfin. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Alfin. Yeah. <laughs> Alvin's great. I actually, uh, yeah, I noticed you were healing with him in some of the later parts when I was yeah, going through the footage. So, and I was, I was like, Hanit and Ophelia never left my party, mm, ever. Yeah. It was always just those two alternates. And then once Ulbrich got up to a certain point, it was pretty much just that third, that fourth. Like, all right. The thing about hunters is if they're weak to arrows, you can just hit so many times yeah, with yeah, arrows yeah, that story, you're breaking yeah. people. But uh, yeah, Apothecary's. Once you have enough of the really good items and you can do the divine skill where you can apply those items to everybody, it's just amazing. It's just so good. <laughs> uh, Brandon, got some bad news for you. Uh-oh. Um, oh, bad news for us, kind of good news for the demons. And so we found out uh, that last time the demons are really into marketing. They love it. Ooh. And you dropped one of their, their most delicious words that they love to use during their little marketing spiels. You have any idea what it is? You I said don't. it recently when we were talking about Octopatrava just just a couple of minutes ago. I have no idea. Synergy. So synergy. <laughs> they really love synergy. Specifically brand synergy. Yeah. Uh, not. It just rolls visit. off the time. Yeah. I know what I'm saying at half the time. Yeah. Uh, as the brand manager, I thought it would make sense that you and the demons would connect on that level. Finally, we connect on something. I can't. Yeah. I gotta get the. Do they have a business card lying around the demons? <laughs> so I can. 
Uh, they kind of just burn their information into oh, okay. like your skin. Into your so flesh. if you're interested, right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of how they sure go about things. Somewhere on me. Uh, if you're not familiar with this part of the show, uh, this is where we talk about the wonderful people that have sponsored us. Uh, we take a break from the game impressions, which we've gone longer than we normally do uh, with game impressions. And I get to watch you read off the sponsors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, today's game, we're doing. We've been doing these a lot, um, and so that's on me. Uh, we're doing real or fake, so you have to tell me if I made the thing up or if it actually exists. Back of the box quotes. Love it. And so what I mean by this is like publication or person said this thing, game company put it on the back of the box. You're going to have to tell me if it's real or fake. Okay. New rule, Brandon, that I don't think, and maybe this applies to Blood as well. You don't have to whisper Hotake or anything. We're, Got we're, it. We're ending that fussiness. You can just, okay. the first person to shout it, I will respond to. Because we're bad at it. Uh, well, because we're bad at it. A, you're, you're, you weren't the best at it and I was bad at enforcing it. So it's, it's kind of a both party situation. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about our wonderful sponsors. Our first sponsor is Greg, the Dark Knight Kettering. Thank you, Greg. Next is Dale's son. We have the last batch of this. Dale would just, just wants to thank the allies who stopped by and hung out when he pretended to be a streamer. It was a blast. Uh, I also want to <laughs> shout out some of the streamers that helped me out. This week we're promoting uh, twitch.tv slash adaywalker and twitch.tv slash Anna Yume. Anna Yume, yes. That's, I think that's how you say that. They will be in the description if I didn't get that correct. Our next sponsor is Jesse Vitelli. You can find him on Twitch as Jestifer and on Twitter at Jesse Vitelli. Next we have a game. It's Crystal Hunters. From Zotag, Crystal Hunters is a puzzle game inspired by classics like The Adventures of Lolo and Chip's Challenge. Take on 45 levels of mind-bending puzzles as you go on a journey to collect the crystals scattered around the land. Play as Thomas or Amelia, guided by Grandpa Buckley, and go get those crystals. Grandpa Buckley sounds pretty jolly. Disclaimer for Huber and Huber types, there are laser puzzles. Zotag loves laser puzzles. Next, you know him, you love him, JoJo's Dentco. <laughs> After JoJo, we got Jake Musser. Hey, allies, I just wanted to reach out and do what I can to support an outstanding group of hardworking individuals who are putting out some of the best content on the planet. Keep up the great work, everyone. Oh. Love and respect. Mm. Next, we have a new sponsor. Oh, yes, cool, great. Yeah. Oh, yes, cool. <laughs> yeah. Great. I'd read him in the, the or them, I read them in the podcast credits. And yeah. I love, because I try to be monotone for all the names, but I love just like being super, oh, yeah, cool, great. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> I, I think you got to read, oh, yes, cool, great, some way that isn't normal. It just lends itself to that. People have fun with names. I love it. We have one mega sponsor that we're promoting today. It's time for the mega sponsors. And I'm going to try something new because we don't have a blurb to read. It's just a name. It's just the name Blue. And I'm going to call upon Daniel Bloodworth and Brandon Jones here. I'm going to count down from three. And then let's just, I'll say go. Okay. Well, no, no, I'm already ruining it. After one, yes. and we just, we're just going to have to feel it out. We're going to okay. try to say blue at the same time. Okay. So I'll go three, two, one, and then blue. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. Blue. blue. I think that was okay. It was yeah. like a seven, I think. <laughs> but sevens are good as we sevens established. Are great. Sevens are good. Best rating we can give. Yeah. If you get a seven, it's better than a 10. All right. Are you guys ready to do some back of the box quotes? Mm. Yes. All right. Uh, I should say before we get into this, I still Games Radar did a list of like hilarious back of the box quotes. I stole all of these from that Games Radar list. So thank you to Games Radar for making that and making my life easier. 
I should include a link to that, and I will, in the description. All right, the first quote. This game is ripe with more awesomeness than Gears of War and Rainbow Six Vegas put together. Is that real or fake? I'll buy that. You're right. Wow. That is for Prey. <laughs> Remember that? Not not the latest Prey. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Last generation Prey. Yeah, yeah. It'd be really funny if it were the latest. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> I, lo- I love I love the use of awesomeness like that's a thing you can yeah. know. <laughs> Ripe with more awesomeness. Awesomeness is what made it. Yeah, ripe with you more would, like, You would, like, text your friend and be like, I know you like awesomeness. Right. You might like prey. Yeah. <laughs> Next one. The graphics made me cry like a baby. They're that good. Fake. You're right. Oh, darn. I was going to go with that one. Yeah. I'm probably going to go with all of these. <laughs> None of these sound too crazy. That, that was... Uh... I mean, I always have this moment with real or fake where I'm like, wait, did somebody actually say that? And I like try to double check. Yeah, I believe that somebody said that. The problem I have with quotes like that is like, if someone writes that, you better have cried. Right. Maybe not like a baby, but if you did not shed a tear, how dare you? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but no no one said that. That's just just a fake one. Matt Moore said that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Next one. Eat your heart out, Bubsy. Real. Yeah, sure. Fake. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one I wasn't sure. I'm like, I'm sure there's been plenty of eat your heart out. And I actually started it with eat your heart out Halo. And I was like, no, someone certainly said yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did Bubsy. Eat your heart out Bubsy. Actually, eat your heart out. Like Gex, maybe? Like what's that? Space. Eat your heart out Bubsy. I think it's something Bubsy would say about That's somebody true. else. Yeah. yeah. Eat your heart out. End quotations. Dash Bubsy. Uh, and just to double check, Brandon, you got the first one. And Blood, you got the second one. One to one. Neither one of you got the third one. So we got two more to get through. Okay. Number four. This is one intense action horror game. You got to play this one, man. It'll blow you against the wall. <laughs> yes, I think the man. Is, uh, yes. The man. Real? I'm going with the man. Okay, you're correct. Yes. And get nice. this. The comma man just that's, sold it for me. That's John Carpenter talking about oh, the thing, yes. the game. Wow. Yes. I, be- I believe we, because we played yeah. Thing for yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I, think it came up yeah I think it came up recently. Yeah, I think it came up recently. It's just amazing. It's I just amazing. A, I love a good, unfiltered, non-reviewer quote. Yes. When you find that celebrity that it just makes sense to mention, like Stephen King said something about some horror novel or what, you know, like, right. and they clearly this person's not, like, speaking within the chosen parameters of their job. Like, they can just say whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. I love those. This is one intense action horror game. You gotta play this one, man. It'll blow you against the wall. I feel like somebody went to him for, for quote approval, yeah. but he wouldn't let them cut anything out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you took out That's the man. True. It's like, well, yeah, I was just trying to put the man back in. It's not what I said. It's not, it'll blow you away. It's blow, blow you, you against, against the, the wall. wall. Okay. Last one. Uh, Brandon, you got that. You got that. That was real. This game is absolute brilliance and execution, brought together in a world so cohesive and expansive that it has no peer. No. Fake. Both wrong. Oh. Oh. That's real. That's pretty wordy. That's real. That's talking about Jack and Dexter. Whoa. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. No peer. This game is absolute brilliance and execution, brought together in a world so cohesive and expansive that it has no peer. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, the source that you got this from, yeah. um, uh, when they were on the podcast, we played a game similar to this. So, oh, yeah, they, really? they, they love the box art oh. analysis. Well, 
Like Minds, I guess. Oh, Game Informer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Game Informer? Oh, you got this from Games Radar. Radar. Games Radar. Yeah. Well, I guess they both so, like Blackstone yeah. then. <laughs> I get my Informer and my Radar mixed up sometimes. Sure. Brandon, I don't know if this has ever happened. Maybe it has. No, it has. I'm almost positive it has. I don't know. This is like every frame trap. Uh, have you done a breaking into the frame trap on your own before? I think you have. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you have to do it again. Okay. Uh, you have to do it this time. I'll do my standard. Do I have to change it up every time, or can I do? Oh, you got to change it up, yeah, baby. You can, okay. You got to change it up. Standard. You can't have a standard. standard. I normally do the it's six. Not a sign off. I normally do the six. The 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 six shooters. I've Have done I let you before. get away with that multiple times? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I, I recall at least doing that once because you know we are uh, two months out from Red Dead, but we are one month out from Spider Man, so I'll do the I'll do the web the web shooters, six web shooters. Okay. <laughs> The last one is the end really made it. That was it. It was yeah. the sixth one. Yeah. You do five and he can still run out. Yeah, he's yeah. Gonna, she's going to shake that We wouldn't right have off. gotten out mm. if right. we'd only done five. Yeah. Um, okay, before we move on, uh, there is one other game that we've mentioned already maybe multiple times that I want Blood to talk about that I'm very curious about, and that is The Banner Saga 3. Yeah. Um, I got I got to this one a little bit later. <laughs> I was still, you know, as Ben and I both... Tend to have a hard time catching up. It's all, that kind of all the, the things that we we, yeah. we get our hands on. Yeah. But uh, also, I I was a little intimidated, of course, going into Banner Saga. Yeah, I I don't consider strategy games or strategy RPGs to be one of my strengths. Don't, but you played, don't play a ton of them. The, but I, I played both of the right, yeah. first two. Yeah. The uh, and, and and I think that's one of the things too. It's been it's been two years mm, since Banner sure. Saga two. And it's like, oh, I'm just gonna jump right back in. Mm. This isn't. You know, the Banner Saga games, it's not like a normal sequel. You're not picking up and trying to be like, what's happening next? It's like, no, you're starting like the moment you left off. This is what's happening next. Yeah. Uh, I think they even had like a cut scene at the end of the game that sort of ended on a cliffhanger. And, and then like the first trailer showed you like the next part of that cut scene. Yeah. Like that's how immediate it is. I, I'm running into that sensation with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 because the DLC is coming out. Oh, it's sure. like, man, I, I played through that whole game. I played so many hours of that game. And now the DLC is coming out. And it's like, wait a minute. How does everything work again? <laughs> you know? Like, I'm sure I'll get back into it and yeah. it'll be fine. Oh, but that it's first, amazing what that you That first time when you like get into that like assemble your party screen. Right. And every single person seems to have like four or six points to put into levels. And like... Oh crap! What mm-hmm. am I doing? Oh, I this, I'm going to screw this up right from the start, and uh, because again, one one of the interesting things uh, about Banner Saga and, and the amount of choices that you have to make is that you 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 don't just level up party members individually. Like killing enemies in combat makes them eligible for promotion, but there's this shared pool of renown that has to get spread across all your party members and is also used to purchase items and supplies to keep your caravan alive. And so taking that pool and say, okay, do I spend 20 on this item? Do I spend 21 to raise this character's level? Or do I spend 10 to raise that character's level? And just trying to to sort out. And there's a little bit less of... uh, the caravan management in this it, it it pops up in the later half of the game in a very different way, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it, it's a little bit more a little bit less focused on that because at this point in the story, you are no longer trying to outrun the darkness and the dredge. There is nowhere left to run. 
and you and every other piece of civilization is crowded up in this last city. The dredge are knocking on the door. You've got rebels trying to take over for whatever crazy reason to shut up and fight them. And uh, and all the, and all that party can do is is try to hold it together mm-hmm. while this other smaller group uh, with uh, the Valka, which are essentially wizards, uh, have them like going into the darkness, protected in this bubble of light, trying to uh, undo the and, and basically get to the like. Why did all this happen? Figure out why it happened. Get to the center of it and undo it and save the world before everyone left alive is wiped out. And it does a very real, convincing job of feeling like you're constantly at the end of your rope. Good and God. there is yeah. no guarantee. He's selling this game right now. There is no guarantee. That's, that, I think that's the hardest thing uh, about it is like as you're going through and as things are getting more and more constricted around the city and you're losing more and more key characters, You there is this very real fact that this isn't a guaranteed, all right, we're going to save the world and everyone's going to be okay. They very well might not be. You very well may not save the world. It's kind of up to you to actually really hold this thing together. This very much reminds me of the sensation that XCOM gives me. Uh, as <laughs> like, as opposed to some other games that I guess have proven up with with XCOM, it's like, listen, this is gonna go bad. Like, it's <laughs> at some point something is gonna go wrong and turn against you. You just have to manage it. Versus a things could go wrong, but if you do well enough, you'll be fine. Like it just, it just seems like constant stress and disappointment and agony. And does your soul ever break into a thousand pieces? <laughs> there are a couple of times where, because I was uh, playing with headphones on, and there's a couple of those moments where I just, I'm gonna take these headphones off. I'm gonna sit here for a bit because <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe that just happened. Sure, I I can't believe that just incredible crazy thing just happened and and it and there's so many small decisions along the way where it's like what is the right choice here you, you you've got all of these soldiers on the outside of the walls and so i was like can we spare some people to you know to to build up the walls re- rebuild the walls there's a fire breaks out for whatever reason like do we spare people to try to put out this fire or, or are they going to like actually die and like a lot of these situations and i, and I think it's probably one of the like the few criticisms, uh, it, it, and it's and it's weird because it's like you don't want things to be predictable, but at times it's like, I, I, I it feels like luck of the draw as to whether like helping somebody is going to result in oh this is great this is going to help me out or nope I helping them just cost like, me yeah, two people. I'm willing to make sacrifices yeah. as long as I know what I'm sacrificing, you know? And so, right. yeah, sometimes you, you, you don't necessarily like, know. Oh, that guy actually happened to be in the middle of that thing that fell apart. He's like, oh, <laughs> dang it. Uh, but at the same time, like, I, I really I really like those consequences and I like trying to piece back together where my choices went wrong. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and things like, okay, if I had done that here... I could have saved myself from all of this headache. Yeah. But at the same time, well, wait, if I had done that, this guy would have been completely pissed off at me and he might not have let me do that. So I don't really know how that would have gone. Uh, And and there's a lot of things too, where you have like, you know, factions uh, butting up against each other. There's 
this uh, this group of uh, uh, characters called Horseborn, which are basically centaurs, mm-hmm. and, and they don't get along with with anybody, and they don't understand, you know, some of the, like you know like what we would consider basic rules of war. And so he's like, no, you you did what? It's like, uh, should I should I like disown you or defend you? But it's like if you disown them, then you know you just like lost all of those horseborn from your party and they're pretty useful right they can move around a lot they can kick people really far that's that's very helpful um and uh one of the other things that i think is um is really interesting is you go back and forth between these two different parties and the uh the combat can be pretty different with the group that's in the the darkness uh they're fighting against what's essentially kind of like zombie versions of whoever was left out there. Mm. And, and there's, they call them the warped because like the whole world is just broken and shattered and there's like rocks floating in the air and all this stuff. And the warp close in on you from time to time. And uh, there, there are two main ways that this differs. Number one is uh, there's a resource in the game called willpower, which is what your characters use uh, to do special actions. So to do that kick of, to get somebody across or to do like a spin attack that hits multiple enemies or shoot chain lightning and stuff like that. The the main party has access to this uh, like horn that every time you get a kill, like it gets bonus willpower. So you can replenish people's willpower as you kill units. The, the group in the darkness doesn't have that. Mm. And so you have to be more careful with willpower for one. Uh, but what they have in its place is uh, the Volca spear that one of the uh, the wizards has, and so there, when you do a kill, it adds a charge to the spear that allows any person in the party to do that chain lightning attack, uh, and that that's another one of these things where it's like okay, you have to figure out where the risk reward is and like the right time to use it because if you use it just kind of willy nilly like. It shoots down this lightning bolt, and you hit one enemy for one strength damage, and it doesn't really do much. It can help in some situations when you're, when you're really close to where your party members just can't get that last bit of damage in. And it's like, okay, I'll chip away at them before I attack. Uh, but it's chain lightning, and so people that are diagonal out from whatever your target is will also get hit. And that's where really like try to move their units into a formation that as it hits more people it does more damage mm-hmm. the problem is it, it are your people in the line of fire right. and, <laughs> and and is taking absorbing that damage going to be worth what what you're gaining i feel like it doesn't happen to me too often uh but those moments in strategy games where you're like okay i'm going to do this attack it's going to hit my own person is it worth it yes <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like Sorry, man. I gotta make the call. Um, the the thing is, though, is it's usually not like that. It's uh, I clicked the thing too fast. I wasn't paying attention. And uh, like, oh no! It's like it. that for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that for me. Uh, with Banner Saga Three, it sounds like just just on the way that you're you're describing it, and you're going through all of these mechanics, and you're talking about the story about how they're kind of at the end of this road. That it's way like Banner Saga 1 and 2 seem like agonizing games but this seems to just ratchet that up to a whole new level um, in a way that I guess sounds pretty satisfying if you went through those other two games it is 
it is, and it's just... It's weird because you're constantly on the edge of your seat of, am I going to be able to, to make it? Yeah. And I think it's sort of, you're sort of driven by, by that fear. Um, and, uh, and again, seeing how these things interact and seeing what the backstory is to it. Uh, what, and one of the other things with the combat in, um, against the Warped, and this comes up later uh, in the other party as well, uh, but they introduce uh, multiple waves. So essentially, uh, three combat encounters back-to-back without any point of rest. And, but they're, they're optional. So when you clear out a group of enemies, and they're like, okay, there's another wave incoming. Do you stay and fight or do you flee? And if sure. you stay and fight, then you have the opportunity to, okay, swap out party members, reposition people to kind of get ready. But as you're doing that, you're losing less and less really sustainable units. Uh, the The benefit of sticking around, though, is uh, in the in the darkness. This is pretty much the only place to get any kind of equipable items to boost your character stats because there's no towns. You can't just buy things. Uh, you have to win an item through a combat encounter. Sure. And and so again, it's weighing that risk. Like, do we stay and fight? Do we just go? And, you know, because those items can be really valuable. Some of them, like, add plus three to all of your character's talents, uh, which at that stage of the game is pretty huge. Uh, the other thing they add in terms of uh, the character progression is uh, they, they kind of sort of let you over-level characters from where they were before. Mm-hmm. And once you get above level 10, you can choose a heroic title. And... These are things like, uh, I think, like Oathkeeper and Hopeful and Last Man Standing. And uh, each one of these has multiple levels that you can level up, but they're unique. So if you apply Oathkeeper to to one character, that's it. That's their title. Nobody else gets that whatsoever. And so I'm trying to figure out how to make that work with the abilities that they already have. when you run into these situations where you lose valuable units or just some other thing doesn't go the way that you want it to, uh, is do you ever kind of see like, okay, th- this is hopeless now. Like, there's there's no point in continuing this. I Can you restart? A f- can you save Scummit if you wanted to? The game is pretty well designed to keep you from save Scummit. Okay, that's, yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know that there's an easy way to like go in and, and copy like the it just and that's actually one of the hard things about the game is figuring out just when to find a stopping point because sure. just, there's always just just kind of leads in the next thing leads in the next thing a story encounter leads into combat leads into the next uh, trip down the road and so it kind of keeps going and, and so it's not like you know like a lot of RPGs where it's like okay I'm gonna stop and save now it's just like constantly saving your progress as you go along. And so you just kind of have to like, okay, find it. Okay, breathing moment, quick, quick game, and it's gotcha. going to pop back right where you left off. Um, but uh, they they do seem to always have a backup plan, no matter like how far things seem to go from like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, there will be characters that sort of rise up from your ranks, but in terms of combat abilities. N- you lose certain characters, you lose them. And not like one of the tough things too is like if they had a good item equipped, you lost that item too. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
man, the hits just keep on coming. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not playing this game. <laughs> like I did. I played the only time I played Banner Saga was at PAX a couple years back. I played Banner Saga 2. And I I have had few instances in my life where I was as ill prepared to play any video game yeah. than I was to jump into this. Sure. Oh, jumping in on a show floor, just yeah. Woof. I was out of that very quickly. Um, uh same thing with XCOM. So intimidating. Every time Huber, because Huber's gotten excited about the Banner Saga as well, every time Huber gets excited about it and shares that enthusiasm, I'm always like, man, I bet I would really enjoy these games. And, and you sitting here and saying this, despite how stressful it is, I, I still feel like I personally would enjoy it. But t- to wrap it up, for people that listen to this show and, and want some hot new video games to play, <laughs> is it worth going through three games of stress to experience what you're experiencing uh, throughout the course of Banner Saga 3? Yeah, I feel like you really want to play the other two. You, yeah, it, it's a continuous story. It's, I mean, now that the trilogy is out, it's essentially one game. You know, like yeah. rather than being three 15 hour games, it's it's a 45 hour game. Just play through it from beginning to end. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing of you don't always get a happy ending, but there is still some sort of silver lining, and and that kind of plays throughout the whole the whole process. Uh, and and there's sort of, despite everything being so stressful and so down, there's like there's definite beauty to all of it. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and uh, an attachment to a lot of these, these attachment characters. is the the biggest takeaway yeah. for me is that this all of the threats you are facing are built into the world. Like mm-hmm. I'm not just going to throw yeah. something at you that doesn't make sense. You know, like you 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 know what you're signing up for. I think, and I think everything. You know, the, the bleakness of the character relationships and their plight and like their long journey through these three games, I think, just kind of all wraps itself up in difficulty. And that just kind of permeates kind of like Souls. You know, yeah. it's, it's not just a hard game for hard sake. It's the, the character you are playing as it knows it's hard as well. Right. It's also kind of in the same mindset that you are of, of uh, borderline hopelessness. <laughs> They're la- the NPCs are laughing at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Morale is still a, a pretty big thing. And it's and, and it's like if you can't keep up the morale, then people yeah. are not going to move as quickly or efficiently. Do you know what this conversation has done for me, Blood? Hmm. And I, I have to be careful here. We're, I'm, I'm walking on eggshells because a lot of times we get excited about things that can't happen for one reason or another. So take this with with a grain of salt, dear audience. But this conversation and, and the way that you're talking about Banner Saga makes me really want to do a spoiler mode with you for Fire Emblem. Oh, sure. I think that would be very fun. And I, it seems like something that you'd be interested in playing anyway. Oh, so. yeah. I'm, I've always been interested in Fire Emblem. I always get... Yeah. I, I, I always just kind of get to uh, some weird point where I get knocked out of it. Absolutely. And uh, and the one thing that I've you know, kind of had to overcome, and I've found ways to overcome in the Banner Saga, is any time a uh, Fire Emblem game or a strategy RPG like takes the the kind of training wheels off and says okay now assemble your party i'm like oh no yeah. like i have i have 30 guys and you want me to pick eight uh, i don't know this guy looks cool just yep just pick your favorites just pick your favorites do you know what we're gonna get knocked into right now mm. we're gonna get knocked into okay um so i didn't think about it until we were shooting this this episode. 
But uh, Warframe kind of falls in this category. But the reason why I'm bringing up this Hotake is No Man's Sky Next, yeah. the, the latest right. update, which I really wish I could have brought here to talk about on this frame trap. I think Ian Tempting. may have been the only one that's checked it out so far. I'm so tempted. Yeah, and so we got, we got to get somebody on here to talk about it. We got to get somebody to talk about it on here. And so we're not talking about No Man's Sky Next specifically today, but I, I kind of want to talk about the trajectory of No Man's Sky and and that type of game and how reception for a game can change. And so No Man's Sky, obviously, a lot of hype before it came out, which which I am very guilty of. If you watch that uh, that infamous <laughs> the E3 GT thing, uh, where Brandon very wisely fought against that, um, and then I reviewed it and it was like, uh, not not there, not there as much as it needs to be. And that was kind of a general sentiment, I think. That a lot of people share. Well, Some people loved it. And the 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 humorous, the more most humorous part of that is now you know so many months or like a year later or whatever. Right. You're reviewing it and you're not satisfied. And right. I'm playing on the sideline and having a ball. Right. <laughs> it's funny how I things remember, change. I remember getting your script and being like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because like, yeah, yeah. you had played a lot more of it than I had. Right. So I was that your script was very much about that point where it's like joy and then blah. Well, the rest and you of were it. just playing it for fun. Right. You were just, you were just, just going just around. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the crew too. Good old time, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a different sensation, but uh, th- this concept of living games is fascinating, and we talk about it a lot in terms of monetization mm-hmm. or or crowded space, and that's not really the phenomenon that I want to focus on today. I want to talk about initial reception and change over time, and what it takes to survive. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying that No Man's Sky Next is this great thing. I haven't played it. I don't know. But but even something like Warframe. Right, I, I don't think it was hot out the gate and just very slowly over time mm-hmm. has built up into something. Obviously, Fortnite transformed itself over time thanks to Battle Royale. Um, and so what do you think is necessary for a game that wants to exist and be part of the conversation for years and have a pocket of the community? What is the core component to make that work? Uh, for the developer to have control over that property what do you mean i mean i think the inverse of this right now is kind of what happened with uh with onrush with that game coming out with a long-term plan and before that plan gets anywhere it's senior directors are all given the boot because it didn't hit its initial sales whereas if you know evo had somehow managed to become independent and make that on their own without the Codemaster's umbrella, then they could have maybe weathered that storm, maybe made some different decisions about how that game was marketed and put out. Uh, But, you know, maybe they just went with the wrong business model. Mm -hmm. All this stuff in there that looks like free-to-play stuff, but you get it for free, and woohoo, we're the good guys. Had they just put that game out for free and charged for the stuff instead, we would be seeing a different story rather than charging a $60 game that a lot of people kind of kick back at. Do you think that when it comes to kind of changing negative public perception about your game, it, you sort of need that rallying cry, that big update, that new expansion, that new inver- the version to be successful, or can it be more of a, of a chipping away over time? I, I think it depends on your definition of success. Right. I think you have games like uh, like Ubisoft continually surprises me with uh, um, games like For Honor and Rainbow Six that they're still being played, still being updated. We're still talking about them. Mm-hmm. But I think those types of games, I think I think Fortnite is something that's just kind of like vacuuming up all sorts of new players from across the spectrum that weren't necessarily that interested in Fortnite. Whereas I think something like Rainbow Six survives because of the continued... Um, 
uh, patronage, if you will, of a specific group that keeps coming back. And that group is big enough to sustain that game. Um, so, I, so I think it depends. I think something like No Man's Sky, you need those new players to come back. You need those people to... Right. So, so I think in their case, it helps to take a break, to not necessarily post a lot, to have your Twitter account go silent. And then all of a sudden, boom, show up at a good time. Um, I think this summer and this weird kind of climate of all the specific games are coming out, I think is a great opportunity because I'm seeing a lot of different names across the industry spending a lot of time with it. And mm. and it's not like these big moments that they're sharing. It's really kind of small, intimate moments yeah. that I think across uh, the board are kind of selling it to me for a lot of different reasons other than I was just, you know, like Minecraft. It's like always, you know, twist my arm, give me a reason to go back and play No Man's Sky because I loved it. But then like Warframe, I don't think there was any one announcement that did it. You know, I mm. think it was just kind of the slow collection of these tiny meaningful updates that not only added new worlds and weapons and stuff but functionality um and so i it depends i don't think there's one really smart answer it's tough because you just have to keep existing you just have to keep going you know uh hello games could have easily just completely folded upon this and just been like no this doesn't work out we got to reassemble as a different name different company different staff and and so it's it's interesting. I, I'm very curious to see what happened behind the scenes. What kind of support they continue to get from Sony. What kind of conversations they had internally right. toward like this is going to be a marathon. This is going to be a long run. And we we you're going to have to show up to work for weeks and months and have no recognition from this industry that you're doing anything at all. Right. And still keep at it. Still be excited about it. Still make the right decisions. Still learn from our community. Take their critiques. Um. There, it's interesting because there, it's it's just a case by case basis where there have been games that I felt like didn't really have a lot of heat behind them. Be like, we're completely changing, we're throwing everything out the window, and we're starting over, and then they still don't get any attention because it's like, well, that's great that you changed, but no one wanted either thing. And so, if you are going to go through the process of transformation, you kind of have to capitalize on a need that I think like is already built in because I think like with No Man's Sky. I think the reason, obviously it's a huge update, so that's a big factor, but I think part of the reason that it is getting this resurgence of attention is is people want to capitalize on that vision. Like, mm-hmm. that was already so appealing to people um, that it's not that they didn't care, it's that they really cared and were let down, and that's a much different thing. Like, transformations can't work for everybody. The, the, the desire has to be there. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious is... Uh... Sea of Thieves is announcing, you know, the pirate ships and, or was it the uh, skeleton pirate ships and stuff like that? And I'm curious if there's anyone that's like, ah, oh, that's it, that's the thing, because I don't, yeah. I don't get that vibe. I don't get, see people getting excited for that announcement. Uh, I think it's it's just one of those things to kind of keep the current player base going, and you know, what is it going to take to get everyone else to like? Okay, I'll jump back right. in now. I think that to me is one of the most disheartening things about Sea of Thieves is I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after after I like got my fill of that experience beyond just maybe playing it again with a specific group of friends, right? Um, because I like those friends, and it's it you know in a lot of instances it doesn't really matter what we're playing if we're spending time together. But I I didn't come away from that being like well they clearly have to do A B and C and then that'll you know where's No Man's Sky I think there's way more possibilities where people specifically were like where's co op where's base building where are these things and now they're in there and it's okay now that that stuff's in whereas I don't think you know I don't think you finish Sea of Thieves thinking it needs this it's like I just need just way more of everything I think right and yeah that's a tough game to improve I don't think that's a easy problem to solve 
case by case. It's yeah, got it's me. Tough. It's got me thinking about how the importance of, of like tent pole players and and how I think their importance and prominence has risen up in a really kind of like game changing way. Where I think for the people that live and breathe your game, satisfying them will do you infinitely more good than having like a good preview event. Mm-hmm. Because if if the number one thing that they care about is your game, they're going to be the harshest critics. And so they're not going to go and like espouse the good word of the game if they're not fully satisfied. But if you're able to fully satisfy them because it's the number one thing that they care about, they will they will stop at nothing at spreading the good word of that game. Mm. And I think that has a lot more of an effect because because those people can go on places uh, like message boards or social media, and you know, like, ah, oh, this is the guy that knows about this game in and out. I can ask him any question, and he'll know it. That opinion becomes infinitely more valuable than somebody that's just checked it out for a few hours. And that's interesting because, like, th- those people not all that long ago did not have that power, did not have that voice. Um, and yeah, but at the, at the same time, with those diehard players, I think it can be really alienating for everybody else if you're like, listen. We're changing this, that, and the other, and an outside perspective is being like, I didn't understand anything that you said. <laughs> I, I think you can go too far with it, for sure, as well. So, well, the, yeah, that's one of the things, uh, and and they're adding even more uh, coming up soon with with Rainbow Six Siege. But I remember going to uh, Ubisoft's Gamescom's preview last summer mm-hmm. and sitting down with Rainbow Six Siege for the first time in <laughs> two years or whatever, and yeah. How many operators and what am I doing and, and 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 getting through that and like, yeah, we're not using that footage for anything. That's just <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Really, really difficult to just just to jump back in with a group of random people at a preview event. Sure. Um. Kind of to to maybe move this on to the next phase of the conversation. Uh, do you think? That the games that are kind of in power now, or that have gotten a lot of t- attention now, do you do you think they will stay in power, or do you think we'll see a lot of new things rise up in the next two to three years, and why? Uh, both. If that's a boring answer. Um. Well, the- <laughs> I, I don't see Fortnite going anywhere anytime yeah. soon. I don't see Minecraft losing any steam anytime soon. It just seems like that just keeps blowing up. Do you um, think that Minecraft has not lost any steam? Uh, I. I don't know. Based on decisions I see being made around mm. the property, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like something that I, I can't tell if that's something that Microsoft is investing heavily because they own it now. And what's the point of owning something unless we make it a priority or if they're really seeing, you know, um, dividends based on all of the improvements that they're going, you know, uh, the launch on Switch and um, just seems like there's always some weird kind of pack or something. It seems like we're in a Minecraft email every single week <laughs> right. about just something, you know, tiny being added. Um, but again, is, is that a Rainbow Six play where they are playing very specifically to their base that is asking for specific things? Are they just taking like the Fortnite approach or they're just throwing a bunch of stuff out, out in the store and seeing what, what sticks and what people want to buy? Um, or is that something like a No Man's Sky where they're waiting for every, every time they do it, they're hoping that it lights a fire and that they get this whole new audience either coming back or introducing themselves to it for the first time? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's a winner or a loser there. I don't think necessarily, you know, we we need are these new properties to enter the space because we're getting sick of these old properties, um, or we need these old properties to do something fresh and new. I, I, yeah, I think it's. Um, I think why not both? I think both can win. 
So you're saying you're saying uh, you're going to have new things come into place and old things stay in power. And and Jim Sterling said something that I thought uh, was pretty interesting, where he's like, "Listen, I picked." My sort of living game, it's Warframe. That's what I have time for. That's it. I've made up my mind. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting perspective because, like, how many of these can you reasonably play? Right, right. I, I actually did, I have a, had an interesting conversation with my friend uh, Todd, who co-wrote a lot of the retrospectives, and who I played a lot of Final Fantasy XI with and a lot of Final Fantasy XIV with. Yeah. And... We discussed how, because he's not playing a lot of Fortnite, but his roommate is playing a ton of Fortnite. And so he's just kind of sitting on the couch, just like, you know, taking in this game. And um, we've talked at great lengths about properties we would like to see turned into MMOs back in the day. And and basically had a discussion about how Fortnite is the new MMO. How it's, mm-hmm. how it's like you're kind of out of your mind if you try to make an MMO nowadays, if you try to launch something with that particular leveling model and no, 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 you can't do this raid because you're only level 40. And it's like, Mm. well, screw this game. You know, like I want to do it all. I want access to everything. I I don't necessarily want to be more powerful than this person. I want to be, I want skill to demonstrate, you know, my ability in all cases and kind of this interesting marriage of um, shooters and MMOs have kind of kind of found their place thanks to PUBG and Fortnite and Warframe right. and a lot of these other games where like you're having fun in Warframe right away and you're yeah. like yeah I might get some more stuff later on but that backflip is just as fun now as it probably will be 40 400 hours you know down the road depending on how much time I invest um, so it's interesting seeing that that kind of deconstruction of the MMO archetype into that some of that stuff is still around yeah. and there are still plenty of MMOs that you can play but it's just not as financially viable not as popular um, as as that used to be so I think that I think MMOs are kind of losing out and I wouldn't be surprised if that genre in in the constraints that we're used to in a traditional sense kind of starts to to fade out over the next decade well it's interesting uh, because in Warframe like, I haven't spent a dime in Warframe but mm-hmm. I'm having so much fun that I want to that's a whole different dynamic than you have to be bigger than WoW and that right. really was I, I don't think it's oversimplifying it when saying that that was the mentality like at, after the, the explosive popularity of WoW you saw countless MMOs rise and very quickly fall out of existence just yeah. completely blink gone and I, I don't think it's the same atmosphere anymore there are plenty of smaller scale and in some cases extremely small scale MMOs that are doing just fine like they're finding ways to capitalize off their audience um, right. like Damiani has been playing Final Fantasy 14 a Rumor Born like since it came out yeah. and like I yeah. don't think that's going to stop and that seems and to be a very yeah, healthy Terra community. came out on console recently right yeah. right and so it, it seems like we're not really in this this place where you you have to be the biggest or a titan mm-hmm. like you can you can find ways to capitalize on your existing audience um and i think that's healthy and i think it's really encouraging um it's just hard for me because i want to play them all yeah and it's a bummer because the whole concept of early access i think gets uh um a lot of negativity surrounding yeah. it where it's like what is this weird game you know call me when you're finished but at the same time i think there's a lot of projects like fortnite you know that wouldn't have necessarily worked the way they did had they not have just kind of this small introductory hello i'm a video game maybe right. come over and play no big deal you know where you like you don't necessarily i don't need that like we got to have a big audience this week or this entire project we've been working on for years is going to fail you know or you can just kind of slowly start to step into the industry find your niche find your audience then play to them 
then you cancel Paragon, take all those artists, have them start making weird, you know, like umbrellas and stuff, uh, and invest in a smart way and mm. put more resources into things that are proven to have trajectory instead of just like throw a dart at the board and cross your fingers. Which is where you got all those MMOs that right. were probably great, but just didn't, you know, were, were, were wrong place, wrong time. See, to me, that, that seems so smart. And my very last question, and this could be its whole other Hotake, is I, I think that is extremely smart. And I, I don't necessarily have a problem with early access. I think it is, is wise to kind of experiment and try things and be like, listen, this is where we're at. This is how much we're willing to commit to this at this time. But I feel like there's a stigma with big companies doing that, where it's like sure. they're, they're, they're punching down in a way or they're chasing a trend. And it, it feels, I guess, slimier because they're big. And I get that. I get that mentality. I get that skepticism. But... Like I said, I think it can be wise and can potentially lead to new and exciting things. I don't know. What do you think about that? One game we need to discuss right now that we have not brought up is Star Citizen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, sure. uh, Star Citizen, from my perspective, was like something we were I mean, we were still waiting on it. But I like I was unaware with how many people are like to, to them. The game is out like to them like. I'm I'm in it. I'm in the world. I'm playing it. So like, yeah, they might add improvements and stuff like that. We had a, a really great community showcase uh, uh, post ten dollars and up patreon.com slash easy uh, uh from a player who someone in their gaming group died unexpectedly in an accident. And so they gathered together with all of their ships and yeah. everybody and had a mm. big service for them and like visited all these planets that that person liked and and spent like hours in the game talking about them and had a wonderful memorial. And um here I am just seeing these screenshots from Star Citizen being like, oh, right, this game. Right. So here's this game that's surviving on a very specific audience. And like, on what, you know, what footing do I have to comment on how well they're treating sure. them? I have no idea. Like, I would almost want to speak exclusively to that player. What are you getting out of this? You know, what dreams, aspirations do you have for this game? And, and do you need this to blow up? Do you need a No Man's Sky next size update to really, you know, fulfill you and make you feel like your investment financially or just time-wise in this game was worth it? Um, so it is interesting to see games like that where you're like, oh, right. You know, you, you get that Rainbow Six update at E3 and you're like, totally that's a game that's happening and that a lot of people are playing um and it's interesting loving and appreciating franchises like that that you don't touch at all but just from afar you're like that looks like fun mm -hmm. i bet people are enjoying that and even that perspective i think even you like you said i haven't you know spent a dime on warframe like yeah. but we're here talking about it right and to, to for if i was you know at the team who put warframe together what's the company digital extremes I believe. yeah if i was name. at digital yeah. extremes i would call that a win i'd be like we got ben yeah yeah you know <laughs> like does at this point it's hard to really track down those financials. It's like I we probably got at least one new person that's willing to check something out. From I feel a very honest, you know, reaction. I think that you that you can't have a conversation about any of these games without that nervousness of, you know, your experience may vary. They might have some crazy update tomorrow, change their payment plan. I don't know. Yeah, it's something that we you know you, you just have to find the right time for you to to jump in and spend time with it. Yeah, it's just the 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 thing about Warframe that really shakes me is. Had you talked to me post-review, I was like, yep, I'm never playing Warframe ever mm -hmm. again. I, I never could have predicted that years later I'd be like, holy gosh, you should play Warframe. Like that, you just don't get that experience with media mm. all at all. Like once in, a, in an incredibly blue moon do you revisit something and you're like, yeah, I feel completely different. This has totally transformed itself. Um, and it's just, it's kind of a fascinating yeah. journey to go on. Um, but just really quickly to touch back to what I was talking about, like big companies... 
kind of taking cues from independent people or smaller companies and then them kind of getting a dirty look about it. Um, do you think that's fair, Blood, that that's the general attitude? Uh, I, I think it's really... It's difficult because I, th- I think it depends on what kind of direction that takes because you know as you like you see something like Fortnite and Warframe they're they're constantly iterating and and changing things uh whereas sometimes I think a lot of times early access is just like well uh this this just isn't finished mm. you know and 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 there's not really like they they are taking player feedback into account and everything, but when you check back in, it just it just feels like oh okay they they added some more levels, got it. They you know put in you know some different vehicles here or whatever, some different weapons, but it, it doesn't it doesn't really feel like it has that same dynamic. And sure. I think that's that's the difficulty. And I, I think you know like you're saying, I think Star Citizen is one of those kind of games where. You you've got those two different perspectives. Like the the people that are in it are like you're saying they're they're in it and they're enjoying the game. They're playing the game. And I think a lot of people are on the outside. Like oh, why are they just gonna finish the game so I can play it? And 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 so it it is kind of weird. I think trying to figure out where that balance is to where it does have something that that feels dynamic. That feels like oh, I'm a part of this and something new is happening all the time and that's really fun, rather than Oh, they're just like bolting on more content to this thing, and I and by the time they're done, yeah, I've kind of played all of that already. I don't really care about you know this next little bit that they put on there. Uh, speaking of Star Citizen, though, part of what makes this so interesting is games living through different eras. Because at the start of Star Citizen, it it felt like articles that were coming out about Star Citizen, and there were a lot of articles about Star Citizen. It was just about as much as, like, what is the value and security of crowdfunded things? Like, it felt like it was about crowdfunding itself in addition to Star Citizen the game. Whereas I feel like now, not that we've solved it or that there aren't new feelings about crowdfunded games coming up, but we've kind of worked through that. It's not Mm -hmm. like this new, curious thing anymore. And so I, I, I understand that the reaction to Star Citizen is different because the attitudes that we're working through are a lot different than they were three, four, five years ago, or whatever it is. So, yeah. I don't know. Time um, will tell. Time will tell. For a lot of these. <laughs> we're ready for some emails. Mm. 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 Emails are, are some of the best part of this show, Yummy. in my opinion. Uh, our first one comes in from Morgan. He says, Hello, allies. Previously, I said I was going down with the ship by oh. playing Metal Gear Survive, knowing that it wasn't going to be that special. I just finished playing it, and I actually had a good but not great time. <laughs> Something that took me by surprise was how the final mission played out and was one of my gaming highlights of the year. Cool. No spoilers, but it was an intense solo gauntlet that made me use every tool in the game and Investment. had me floored from Investment. start to finish. Sure. This got me thinking about redeemable moments in otherwise bad games. I think this is something that should have its own term because it somehow takes you on an unexpected roller coaster of emotions that cannot be found elsewhere. This might be even more relevant when you cannot quit a game you are reviewing for work. Yeah. Ben, do you or the panel have any similar experiences with something redeeming in an otherwise bad game? Also, would you be able to put a name on this? 
what name the game? D- yeah, just I guess mm. I think I think what he's saying there with that last part is to describe it and, and not just say like yes, I've had that experience, but illustrate. I'll what put it a is. name on it. Yeah, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops. Um, I've been thinking about the original Black Ops a lot because Black you Ops. Think 4. Black Ops One is a bad game. Uh, no, no, <laughs> but that to me is probably my favorite Call of Duty campaign. Mm. Uh, and story-wise, uh, not missions, not weapons, not ab- abilities and, and all that stuff, but specifically, it set itself up like uh, not only a very traditional Call of Duty campaign uh, with a certain type of characters that I was meeting and, and the differences between them, but it had this kind of conspiracy theory laid over the whole top of the thing, and, and that was kind of pointing in specific directions, and I kept thinking, like, this is just not going to be satisfying. Like, this, I can kind of see what they're getting at, and there's going to be some kind of, like, shadow figure that's the puppeteer that's going to reveal itself at the end, and it was very much not that, and it was not only not that uh, when, it did, when it did get to the twist, but it almost... And this happens sometimes with any medium, with television or film or something, where it's like they almost set it up like it's going to be dumb. Like they kind of do stuff in the in the with the veil of like a traditional method of storytelling mm-hmm. because they know where you think it's going to go. And that's when they get you. And that's when they're mm-hmm. like, no, 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 we're actually going to turn this around and play on your expectations. And you kind of let your guard down because you're like, yep, I'm going through the motions now. And then pow. Like and, and that I think is why that that stands out for me, because. Um, when it finally did get to the twist, it was like, man, not only was that a great story twist, that was a great Call of Duty twist. Sure. Because you're not only playing on me, having gotten familiar with the way you tell the story in this game, but uh, this is following Call of Duty 1, 2, Modern Warfare, you know. And uh, so I had these expectations going in. Then I was like, ooh, you got me. You know, like, I thought this was going to be just another another Call of Duty. But uh, you kind of, yeah, played into uh, those assumptions and played into them well. Mm. Right. I wonder if that would have the same as impact, same impact today on somebody who had played, not played Black Ops, but played maybe Black Ops 2 and 3 and uh, some of the other ones that to go back now. I wonder. Um, so, yeah, so yes, yeah, going in, thinking it's going to be bad and then having some some redeeming element. Yeah, a redeeming element of a, of a thing that you would say is overall not great or, right. or bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard for me to put my finger on anything. Uh, I mean, there's definitely... Uh, bad games that like I I I f- have fun in in brief moments or whatever like uh, Agents of Mayhem you know that game got you know pretty pretty repetitive or whatever but like once in a while like there's just some character story arc or ability or or something like that 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 works even though what what you're doing in the world just feels really bland and, and repetitive um, but. Uh, but yeah, getting you know like uh, specific abilities. Like uh, there's, I'm trying to remember. There's like a guy that you could like f- freeze and then just like punch dudes and shatter them, and that you know like little little things like that. that, that like, that's yeah. come up again. That's yeah. a that's a Bloodworth. Uh, yeah, I guess so. He likes that's that. Twice today. Yeah. Likes the freezing and the smashing. <laughs> if Blood made a game, there'd be freezing and smashing. There would. It. There would. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. If- how much impact this has because it's so old, but uh, Buck Bumble on the N64. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have not played it in years, so I'm a little hesitant to be like, this game is so bad. Blah, blah, blah. I don't. It's been a while. I need to revisit it. But uh, Has that rap ever happened? No, the rap still needs to happen, but that's it's kind of part of this. <laughs> I remember playing Buck Bumble, like running it as a kid, and being like, this is really hard to control. And I'm not enjoying myself, but that rap is amazing. 
They have a Buck Bumble rap, and if you haven't seen it, you should look it mm. up. It's really, really good. I always go back to Minority Report on the Xbox because that's not a great game, not a great license game, but has a slow mo cheat that you can activate. That yeah. just all of a sudden we got we got a game here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of games that, that I don't really want to revisit and don't remember that fondly, I know a lot of people love it, but I remember getting pretty annoyed with Donkey Kong 64, uh-huh. um, mm. but that rap, that DK rap, you cannot beat it. <laughs> you cannot beat it. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of others that I can think of. Top 10 raps? Are there 10? Did Top 10 raps? raps? Probably. Oh, I don't know. Top 10 gaming raps? The Rogue Warrior rap at the end. The credits rap. You know what I'm talking about? What? You know the game Rogue Warrior? A Rogue Warrior. Oh, yeah. You said Road Warrior. I, the, like, oh, no. I do not remember the Road Warrior rap. <laughs> oh, Rogue, Rogue Warrior. Okay. Look up the, the rap that he does right. at the end. Yeah. Maybe not 10, but several. We should do a top. That's a good idea. <laughs> I like that. All right. Next question comes in from Tim. He says, hi, Ben and Allies. After finally finishing up games that I really wanted to play on the Switch, I started to read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, a book by Jason Schreier Mm. that I've been meaning to read for some time now. So far, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic read on the development cycle of a video game at several huge and small studios. That does sound really interesting. Initially, I was going to ask if you had any recommendations or favorite books, but it got me thinking about other great pieces of media that look more at the development slash people behind uh, video games. Uh, between the no-clip documentaries, Double Fine Adventure, Indie Game the Movie, etc. So, do you watch this type of content, and do you have any that really stand out to you? Uh, yeah, you bring up a couple. I think no-clip is, is a very good one to bring up. Indie Game the Movie is also fascinating. Um, one that I just want to start the conversation with here is there was a Smash Brothers documentary. It was a multi-part Smash Brothers documentary that was very fascinating, that really dug into... Not only the story of the the people that came to really define the game um, and and gave it so much life, but kind of the whole culture mm. and 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 how people act and what's expected and really just like an inside look into it. And as fascinating as I think game development is, and it is super fascinating, like I, I always want more of that because so many different sections of gaming, it's like you're speaking a different language. Like it's its own world, and I, I want more inside looks from a from a fan perspective. On what it's like, but yeah. How about you guys? Any any behind the scenes media? Fistful of quarters is dynamite. Yes, and still relevant, man. Yes, that it is the, still they, relevant. Those, those dudes keep yeah. going back into the news again and again and again. <laughs> so, what is Fistful of Quarters for those who aren't uh, familiar? Fistful of Quarters is about uh, the original Donkey Kong um, high score, and uh, between Billy Mitchell and Steve Weeby. Yeah, I think that's uh-huh. it. I, think I was, did not think I was going to come up with Weeby's name. Um, and uh, if you have not heard the latest headline, um, if you go see that movie, it is not over when it's over. Even when they do a little like tease at the end, they're like, here's the real ending. It's like far, far from over. You really got to boot up that Wikipedia page and read all of the crazy developments that have happened since. But crazy to think, you know, we, we make our living trying to focus on as many games as we possibly can. And so it's, it's always fascinating to me to be friends with or follow someone that is just like, nope, this game, this is it. <laughs> year in and year out. I just keep coming back to this game and obsessing over speed runners and stuff like that. Just like, wow, oh, yeah. like yeah. that's so fascinating. Um, and so that's, that's the biggest takeaway from that is these, um, these, these two guys who can't just play the game and enjoy the game on its own merits. They have to push themselves like Olympians and just try to see, you know, can I achieve this potentially insurmountable goal? And it's great because it, uh, Fizzle of Quarter does a really good way 
making you understand what they're doing. It's not just, oh, they're good at the game. Well, now let's meet their family. It's like, what does it take to be good at this game? What what uh, uh, methods do they employ to practice and understand what this game, what you have to do to achieve this? Um, and it's just e- even even kind of understanding like, oh, lots of points at Donkey Kong. Got it. And then them going through that and being like, wow, like there's so many variables you have to think of in every last little movement and and going through something almost like you're watching a television show that you love for the eighth time and you get to a particular episode and you're like oh yeah re kind of seeing these moments coming a mile off and being right. like right got to have that thing and then jump over this at that moment um and i also want to give a shout out to the um lifetime achievement i don't know if, if that's what they call it gaming icon or something awards but the uh awards that they've given out uh Two important people in the industry at the Game Awards ever since uh, Keeley started those. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I believe uh, uh, Roberta, wait, Kim, what are the uh, King's Quest, Space Quest people? Is it Williams? Roberta and something Williams, yeah. And um, the team behind Command and Conquer, I think, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, the name of that studio. I can't remember. Uh, Westwood, right? Uh, yeah. And then the last one who's uh, was the first, right? the first uh, woman to code a game all by herself. Um, and just getting her reaction coming out of the stage and just seeing, you know, this industry the way it is now. Um, it just, just really shows you, like, how long people... We've been in this gaming game. Yeah. You know, how long this industry has been churning out creative products and uh, how much we owe to so many of these crazy pioneers. Um, it's always nice. And I like that it, they weren't uh, obvious choices that they've, they've given those awards to. Each one of them, even if I was have played King's Quest and I'm familiar, it's really cool to hear that story and and see them now uh and kind of get caught up on them so yeah kudos to keely for giving those out um i don't get to watch a, a lot of things and uh usually it becomes even one of these yeah like i'll see no clip comes out a thing oh that's really cool I'll, I'll watch that sometime and then it just never happens <laughs> uh the what i i did manage to stop and watch all the episodes of lately though is uh Chris Kohler's uh, complete in box series. Uh, oh, that he I really need to for, watch those. For Kotaku. Yeah, and it's it's funny because at first it 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 sounds like it's gonna be pretty dry and just kind of go through whatever inserts and stuff are in there. But he brings a lot of interesting insight uh, to the the different games and talk about okay, this is what was going on in Japan. This is how they're trying to market things in the West. This is the crazy thing that they they did in Europe and like they had you know maybe like secret of mana like they had you know the the boxes in japan are tall and so they were able to have this huge illustration of the mana tree and then in the west it's like well it's flipped the other way so you just get the bottom <laughs> you know you don't get to see the whole piece of artwork um and then and and, and it's also fun for him to, to kind of go back through some of those manuals and see like well this description of the story has nothing to do with the game whatsoever, <laughs> or uh, or this part of the manual really just like teaches you all the things that we take for granted in RPGs today because they were still trying to teach people in the West like how to play an RPG at all, how to do These anything other than run to the right. Our hit points. Yeah. <laughs> As you kill enemies, you will gain experience. Here. Um, and then uh, he went through. Uh, he opened a. In a sealed copy of uh, Star Tropics. Oh, nice! And dipped the letter in yeah. water to show people the letter, and went to the whole history behind Blockbuster and how that me- whole mechanism completely failed because all people did would scroll Nintendo and ask for the number yeah. to put a punch into the game. It's like I don't know what the radio code is. Oh, it's on the letter that you probably threw away or you didn't get from the used copy or one you borrowed from your friend. Um, and uh, 
the uh, at Monkey Island they had the uh, dial-up pirate wheel. Oh god! You know, because like that—that's what the stuff that we used on the PC, like because you could just stick a disc in and, yeah. and copy it, and and there you go, you got the game. And and I had plenty of games like that. They had little codex wheels, and you I, I put you know Saturn with Parmalon or whatever, and then then okay, got it. Or I had a I had a game called Airborne Ranger, and it had uh, matches of uh, like the different bars and things, the different medals soldiers would get. And so like you'd have to like know what all of these stripes were, but you didn't really know. You just like look it up in the manual and like okay, it's this, this, and this. And if you couldn't get the match, you couldn't start the game. Wow. <laughs> uh, but the, yeah, there are a lot of interesting insights in that. He's bring he brings in a, uh, some guests on a couple of episodes who bring more information than he, he even has or very rare copies of games uh and they've done a complete season now and at some other point they'll produce more but it was really uh yeah really happy for how well that series went through very cool also king of kong is the, officially the name of the title fistful of quarters is the same right. title. i knew what you were talking about yeah, yeah yeah i knew there was like something not right but it, i you were also kong, right yeah full of quarters yeah yeah, yeah. i think i watched that like what, it must be five, six years ago? Yeah. I feel like I watched that while we were at G4. <laughs> like right before Game Trailers. What is time? Yeah. All right. Um, last email comes in from Alexander. He says, when we talk about game creators, we often praise directors, composers, actors, writers, designers, yet very rarely talk about programmers who do the most to push the gaming industry forward. For example, the world in Horizon Zero Dawn is so dense not just because programmers made an engine that can run it, but also because they created tools and algorithms mm -hmm. that populate the world with vegetation based on the rules set by the game designers. The same can be said about other parts of game development. Animation blending software reduces animation department workload, debug tools help with QA, and even branching storytelling is hardly possible without systems that track every possible game state. And let's not forget about AI, matchmaking, online responsiveness, loading times, and many other things programmers do to make our gaming experience better. Yet it's fair to say that game programmers are widely underappreciated both by gamers and the industry, because only John Carmack is widely known by name, and gaming credits often place programmers at the second half of the list. So I'd like to ask the panel, why do we praise creators and almost forget those who made the creation possible? Is this because of other types of entertainment, like movies and comic books, where artists, writers, and directors also uh, very are also very important? But where, why are programmers not? Oh, uh, sorry, the, the last part is throwing me off a little bit. Um, but yes, essentially, Alexander is saying, "Hey, why don't we give more love to programmers who are so important?" Uh, I think it's easy to recognize what you can see and and feel and and hear. You, you know, it's. Right. It's one of those things that is very tangible sets. Uh, you know, a gameplay designer or a game director, they set the vision for the whole team, uh, and everyone has to go out and, and build it to those parameters. Uh, and, and so I think, yes, the, the programmer is making a lot of those things possible, but it's really without an explanation. It's like there's almost no way to recognize it. Uh, and uh, when I actually went to... Uh, at least one GDC talk uh, on Horizon Zero Dawn, and it was with one of the the audio design teams. And you know, it wasn't what they were doing wasn't just building audio assets. It was programming like how all of these things are going to interact, right? And uh, and based on where you are in relation to a creature and 
you know, this point is going to have this kind of sound and that point's going to have that kind of sound and what's going to happen when you hit it and all these different things have to interact. And, and yeah, it's all super complex and, you know, practically no way to really understand it unless somebody sits down and talks you through right. a very high level version of that. Right. Exactly. I, that's, I completely agree. And that's what I was going to say is you just, when you look at a great character designer, it's easy to be like, ah, yes, that, that character is appealing. I love them. I want to, to, to buy posters or figures of them because that design is, is so appealing where it's like, okay, how can I understand why this programming feat was so miraculous? Like, even if you, like you said, try to explain it at a high level, I don't think that really gets to the, the core majesty of it, I guess, to use a grandiose word, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I think when gaming first started, it was just the programmers. Sure. You had programmers that were writing the dialogue, creating the stories, creating these characters from the ground up, putting them in costumes, mm-hmm. giving them a voice, and then it's almost like as gaming grew, we had to like steal a lot of these other already established art forms from other mediums, you know, bring in voice actors who were doing animation uh, and cartoons and stuff like that and now putting them into games, um, taking costume designers and, and, and people that maybe were doing art for like Raiders of the Lost Ark that are now drawing, you know, concept art for gaming. Uh, and so I think I wonder if it's we were so used to experiencing that work through another medium that it was just so easy to then complement their work and be more familiar with the effort that it took. Yeah. And, and where that type of design hat fit in its place in the progression of the medium is from a technological standpoint. That's like, oh, we are now on the PS1 64 era where it's 3D. So now I can appreciate that you need someone that lighting is coming way more into play because uh, there's so many other ways I can move the camera just voluntarily now and, and, and look at really look at specific items under a magnifying glass that now, you know, it comes in of like, you know, seeing that sun come up over Hyrule field was like so crazy and so i'm thinking mostly just the 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 visual end of it right whereas again just that always the programming part of it has been just this humongous mystery and this might be a really really unfair uh, i say this at the risk of sounding completely ignorant but uh i have to wonder if a lot of programmers are like i'm I'm fine please please don't interview me right you know like I, i do this job because i don't want to be on camera and so i think about special effects people and i think about someone like stan winston where he became a celebrity you know it's like i'm sure there's a lot of people on the street that you could throw stan winston they're like oh that guy made the predator and the terminator and you know Mm. harry the henderson harry the hendersons and all you know like I'm, i'm so used to his work it's like was that because he was so outspoken was that because he was kind of a rock star in his industry or like did he attach himself to the right writers and directors and producers why him why 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 do we know you know a harryhausen or, or any of these guys you know who was very instrumental in the beginning of stop motion effects um, but I'm sure there were so many other people that maybe did even more work than he did um, uh, that just didn't get the opportunity to be known sure. for that. Is Carmack known because of the quality of his work or is Carmack known because he puts himself out there so much and gets up on stage and um, even Carmack's tweets, man. I don't think there's a tweet Carmack has ever made that I've understood. And <laughs> it's like, does he realize how funny this is? Right. That like he'll tweet something and you're like, Whoa. You know, does he know sending that being like, yeah, that's going to a 3% of my followers that are actually going to digest that. The thing about Carmack, right, is it's not just like he did one miraculous programming feat. It it just seems like every few years he's on the cutting edge of something and he's pushed ahead in so many different areas and, and done so many creative things that 
I don't think it's just because he's this rock star programmer. I think he's forward thinking in, in so many ways. Yeah. Like it felt like every new thing that was coming up at, at it or not every new thing, but a lot of new things would be like, this is how Carmack made this possible. Here's this yeah, new yeah. technology that didn't exist before for sure. So, and the size of companies too. I think if you have a, if you have right. a Jonathan blow project, obviously you're going to be checking it with him and he's right. going to be speaking most to the difficulties that go into to making a game like that. Whereas if you have a mass effect Andromeda, it's like, yeah, that one person who's in charge of like, you know, pop in of rocks on a planet while you're driving, like they're not going to get their own panel at a, yeah. <laughs> a GDC or something, you know? Anyway. So, um, yeah, you, yeah. and you actually, I think more than, more than most of us blood, you, you really seek out a lot of info like that. Yeah. Um, I remember you saying, was it horizon when they talked about the speech and how they made characters talk to each other or something, or there was some, some sort of like character animation panel you went to at GDC. I remember one year. Oh, I think it was the Witcher three one. Witcher three, right? Yeah. Of course, Witcher three again. <laughs> But sure, yeah. I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Frame tramp in the winter, man. Dude, <laughs> dude. I, I feel know. like I've sweat through this shirt. And I'm just, I'm just letting you know. I'm gonna say it right now because yeah. I love saying things on podcasts that come true later. I love making early predictions. Yeah. Just wait, just wait till you see it on social media from people that are in California. We're gonna hit October, and everyone's gonna be like, October's so hot. This will not end until December, January. It is gonna be hot nonstop. I look forward until to that then, time. But everyone's going to be surprised in October and they're going to be like, it should be cold now. It should not. It does not do that. Yeah. We have officially <laughs> weathered through global warming or whatever. Is we that have a, is it a dig at the allies? the weather clock back. No, 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 no. Okay. It's, it's social media. Everybody, okay. I cracks me up every year. Everybody in October is like, it's October. Why is it so hot? And it's like, I'm just going to go back in time to last year. You said yeah. the same thing. So. <laughs> Sorry. It's... <laughs> Buckle up. Can you believe how cold it is? But you won't be saying that when we get our Can fancy pants new studio with uh, central air. Yeah. And we'll be sitting pretty. We'll be chilly. Brandon, that's that's a, that's a that's a dream. I would kill for that right now. Let's get there. Thank you guys so much for watching yet another episode of Frame Strap. Thank you to Daniel Bloodworth and Brandon Jones, yeah. my wonderful panelists. If you would like to send in a question... Uh, that we can mull over things that we should give greater appreciation to. Email askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. If you want to help us get that air-conditioned studio, you can go to patreon.com slash easyallies and see what's going on with there. Any amount that you give helps us continue to do whatever it is that we do. (laughs) Thank you so much for your support, and we will see you next time.